Greetings, Standard Nerds. This is Christopher McClanahan from DeeplyDapper.com. Tom Caramante of Third Rail Design Lab. And this is Blake Simmons, Roving Wanderer. And it's time to... Release the... Kraken! Right off the rails. <laughs> hey, Chris. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome, welcome back to our our last of the Game of Thrones recap episodes for the season seven. You meant Game of Tolls, right? No, I meant Game of Thrones. You might mean Game of Tolls, but you see, some of it's us respect the program enough to call it by its its what's what's the word that they use biblical name incorrect <laughs> go search hashtag game of tolls and you are going to find at least three uses it's picking up steam in a big way <laughs> i'm looking up now <laughs> it's all the rage in Prague. yes it really is <laughs> all i'm finding is is some sort of 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 note about this uh, Nigerian prince that wants me to save his family. Yes, <laughs> they just need they need to see your wire wire transfer information. Everything will be fine. <laughs> so, Chris, you you had precisely one hour of sleep in the last forty eight hours, right? <sighs> yeah, pretty much. That's not good. Yeah. It's the opposite of good. Yeah, it's been not one of those days. What's that? It's not easy on your constitution. No, it's not. It's it's not constitutional either. I, yeah, I don't know. For some reason, just the last few days, I've just been completely and utterly unable to sleep. And then I had a big show in a big shoe in Colorado Springs. That that drive is hellacious every single time. So we, I didn't get home until what was that? Late Monday that I sent you a message. Huh? Yeah. So it it was one of those things where I didn't get to watch it until Tuesday morning. So we tried to get this as quick as we could, but I've been on the road and essentially useless. So it's all and my we're fault. Hitting a, we're hitting a very sweet window. At, this is this is pretty pretty current for us. Yeah, on our for weeks. us, that's but true. Also, we had a pretty sweet window because uh, you know earlier this week was my wife's birthday. Uh, work's been crazy, and then starting tomorrow, it's. San Francisco Comic Con for me, plug plug. Uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then and then there's there's like two days, and then I'm off to Portland to meet you for Rose City Comic Con. Right, they're all weekend and kind of a long weekend. So and then after that, theoretically, we're hopefully we'll get a chance to record one of our long long format stuff. But you know, this was like the one night to do this or wait another week. So right, we got it. So we chose we well. Yeah, we'll kick you digitally if you fall asleep. <laughs> it wouldn't be the first time someone fell asleep during the recording. This yeah. is very true. <laughs> depending on the depending on the grade of alcohol, right? Yeah, but, really. Uh, yeah. It's been an interesting two weeks in, in terms of Game of Tolls, right? Because it has been – I tend to feel like using words like controversy with – a fantasy show on HBO is a little much, given the things that are happening in the real world. Agreed. But among nerds who care, it's been a controversial two weeks. Yes. It's been really fired up. And the it seems like 
the people who write reviews or talk about the episodes, if they have issued opinions, they've been besieged on all sides as if they were unsullied at the, at the gates in either direction of their opinions. So if they're, you know, if they're kind of shitting on the episodes, recent episodes, then people are outraged at them. And then if they're saying they're great, then people are outraged at them. And I thought it was kind of funny because for la- I mean, this whole season particularly, but you know, these last few, I've just been having a great time watching these episodes. You know, I think there's, there's some people that can't really, they can't find that, that emotional disconnect on them. And yeah. they, they feel like every single episode needs to answer all the questions that they want answered because yeah. they're so invested now. But I don't think they realize that – I don't think there's a single show that can actually pull that off. Like I, I, I can't think of a show that I've been enjoying week by week as much as I do this show. But yeah, sure, if I sit back afterwards, I'm like, oh, but they didn't address this thing that I would have liked to have seen. But, yeah, I just think that some people are just a little unrealistic about that shit. Well, and then also, I mean, look at Lost and other – I mean, they're, they're, I think they're a lot stronger than some of these other mega shows that got really popular. And and in those cases, they petered out, right? And in yeah. this case, they're, they're – you know, they have an, a, 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 maybe an overly forced end date. But I think it's it, – it, when early on, a couple seasons ago, I felt like it was just people – book readers, right? The, sno- the snotty book readers or whatever. Right. Snobby were outraged at all the changes from the books. And now that we're beyond the books, I think that there has been a really high expectation for quality, pacing, all this stuff that was unrealistic once the producers announced that they were they were done and they wanted to rapidly complete this show. And right. I think that – talked about in previous weeks – you have to you have to put your brain in a jar about chronal chronal proximal issues and the rapid rate at which things are being addressed in these last two micro seasons versus the you know season after season of the early it's a different show it is absolutely but way, yeah but in a way i was thinking about this in the car the other day look at something like goodfellas they spent a lot of time with the setup and the early years and the planning of these of these arcs, and then they hit a critical mass, and everything falls apart very rapidly. I think in the big picture, I feel like that's happening on this show as well. So in the narrative structure, I don't really mind that they're hitting all of these. I feel like we hit the the third act, and it's these yeah. two seasons, right? Yeah. Well, and that's that's really any show to a certain extent. I mean, there's there's really no way of having something this epic and long form. If if they'd spent entire episodes of people traveling and just talking, they would have had yeah. just as many people complaining about it. There's just no real way of winning that battle, I don't think. And point in fact, they, they have had episodes where the entire yeah. 60 minutes is just people traveling. Yeah. Yes. Uh, the majority of it, right? And yeah. I, I, think, I think there's also an element that people don't want this to end. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So they're frustrated about the perceived quality of each of them. Leading up to it, right? Um, and well, and then also the other thing is we tear this thing apart when we talk about it. Just like I mean, look at we tore apart things like Ghost in the Shell and other things that we actually really enjoyed because we have the luxury of living in a time when we have this kind of nerd stuff with he- big budgets, fully realized for us to pick at. Right. I mean, the big picture is this is great, and so then we can nitpick certain things and say, well, this was uneven or that was uneven, right? 
my problems or or I should say my my the, the points at which I have a critical comment seem to be very minor compared to other people when I read or I listen or I talk to people about their gripes. They have these big picture gripes about I hated this whole scene or I hate this whole story structure. And I'm like, well, OK, you know, my thing is like production beats, you know, mm-hmm, right. how it has to be directed or how certain scenes could have been revised to make more sense. OK, that's the kind of editing that applies to any movie or show we watch. Perfectly legit as creators that we would have that kind of input on something like this. Right. It doesn't mean we love the show, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, but hey, it's done, right? The whole season's done. It is. So before we get into to specifics of the entire episode, uh, how did you guys think about this episode? And what did you guys think about the season overall? More importantly, what are you drinking, dude? I am drinking coffee with a bit of Irish cream in it. <laughs> okay. You're really cutting loose on your one hour of sleep in 48 hours. <laughs> I need the caffeine, dude. None of my beer has caffeine in it. <laughs> and hey, I'm not going to add alcohol to it in any heavy dosage, or you guys will just hear my dulcet snoring instead of my voice. Yeah, and possibly some shelf breaking, which I, yes. I hold you to. Um, we're having, uh, oh yeah, we're having Goose Island's Matilda, which I really enjoy. It's a, it's a Belgian pale ale. I've had this before in, in a larger bottle. I didn't recognize it. It's good. It's light. It's also gluten-free. No, no, that's oh, a different one. Oh, good. Never mind. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but this one's good. You need we like gluten. It. It's important. Yeah. No, we except we don't, but we do. But, uh, yeah, big picture. How did you, uh, how did you feel about the episode as a standalone and then also as the culmination of this whole roller coaster? season and the setup for the next yes yes uh blake you go first i really liked it i the i mean this whole season has been kind of uh, uh, a roller coaster ride of a mega blaster proportions right yes. just yeah. strap yourself in grab the handles and hope you pack the really uh Responsive diaper. Oh, we can handle a lot of volume because that's, that's going to go. We're older over here. Than yeah. you. <laughs> we are. It all depends. It all depends. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> but I would say, without getting any of the details of it, I thought they introduced some great complexity in terms of the character-driven nature of the narrative. Which maybe was lacking a little bit in a few of the earlier episodes. Yes, because I hear there's some more nuance, some more strategery. Strategery. And, yeah. and some... And as I will celebrate later, an ending (laughs) of strategic that I am very glad that we can finally close the door and uh, bury a ton of dirt on top of it. I loved you. And I loved your mother. But I loved you. Yes. Can we just talk in private? And yet you gave me an STD. That's right. uh, And I also liked some of the redemption tales in it. I think it really set the stage for a really compelling final arc in a lot of ways. And then, of course... The the end scene of, well, gosh, maybe the barriers to progress aren't so large. Yes. If you're a certain northern citizen. <laughs> yes. So <laughs> that's right. And it's, a great meta- and it's a great metaphor for the wall we're trying to build uh, a la President Orangey. Yes. yes. So, yeah, I, I really liked it. And overall, I thought this season, I, I still have a, a soft spot in my heart for the first season just because oh, yes. it was such a change and appealed to. The nerd boy Which is why you like this season so much, because they used every possible op- attempt to call back to season yes. one, which some people thought was a cop-out, and I think is 
good narr- good narrative yeah. structure. I enjoy that kind of thing. I, I love yeah. Yeah. That's the fact that they pointed to Ned Stark as probably the most important character in the entire mythos of this thing. Because without him playing his role, this all would have fallen apart at so many levels. Bullshit. Littlefinger is the most important character in the whole thing, and then Podrick is a close second. I will smite thee with the all right. fight. Oh, I mean, I do think that, that Podrick has a big part to play, but... Yeah. So to speak, I see what you did. That's a penis joke. Uh, I think on this episode that if you could complain in the last two about some, you know, writer's room panic that led to characters playing out of character in order to further really aggressively further a D&D plot, uh, you know, campaign style stuff. This episode reinforced characters playing to the way the characters are written. So these characters, almost without question in this episode, with like one or two exceptions, they were acting the way we expected them to act as opposed to suddenly being different characters because they were, you know, the expediency of plot. So I really like that. And I think it really was great that it set the stage for the final season, though, you know, a lot of people were disappointed that it was really going to head into the final season as war against the Night King and then fault theoretical follow-up uh, in Westeros. A lot of people were hoping that there was going to be a MacGuffin and that we were either, we were going to take out the, the, the North quick and then get back to the Westeros sea politics. And I think that, I think that was unrealistic. Oh, yeah, I think the whole was we had seven seasons of build up to a war with the, with the North. Uh, and so, you know, <laughs> the fact that you could even accomplish it, something in one final season is a lot. So it's yeah. going to be, effing bloodbath yeah it's gonna be nuts (laughs) actually one of the biggest challenges they're gonna have is and and one of the trepidations about this incoming you know humans versus white walkers thing is how do you keep this from being monotonous because they've now in this season they've already done a retread of dark or um dark home no uh hard home hard home you know we've already had two episodes of zombie overflow and we've seen them struggle to diversify them yeah and what are they going to do now with a whole season or at least half season of human versus night uh, white Walker? Right. So I, I, actually, I actually think that will only take half the season. Yeah. Me too. Because it'll be yeah. one way or the other. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, but I, I'm sorry, Chris. Yeah. What do you think? Chris? Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think the season overall has been pretty strong. I think the last episode was great. I think they they answered the questions I needed and they handled the questions I had in a way I didn't expect them to handle, which I really enjoyed that in particular. Yeah. I, th- I think the season might not be my favorite season uh, just because it felt so fucking rushed. But from a pure spectacle standpoint, you really can't beat it. Yeah, I feel like the tone of this whole season has made it difficult to think of Granted, I didn't rewatch the whole thing like you tried to do, but it's made it harder to think about individual seasons of this ongoing show. Right. And it's supposed to be recontextualized as a big movie. And now we're in that final act. Yeah. Like it's hard for me now. The beginning of the season, I could think of each previous season and what the big beats were of those mm-hmm. and what it was about. And now I have a lot of trouble sorting out the details of the previous seasons because it feels like it was all a build up to this, you know, just dropped off a cliff. Yeah, absolutely. Hence the current one. Do you want me to, uh, 
get us going geographically. Yeah, where 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 do we start with this episode, Tom? We well, I'll tell you, Wikipedia started at King's Landing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, yeah, the the meeting royale that has been eight years in the making. All right, so we got. I don't want to even try to. I don't even think we need to summarize these things because everyone's seen it or not. But yeah, here, I let's, think so let's too. Talk about this. So interesting, interesting. Uh, the way they formatted this because it was all about, I mean, it was gladiator arena imagery mm-hmm. and everybody walked in, you know, this group came in and then that group came in and then this group met with that group. And then everybody walked in and everything had a bunch of pomp to it. And it was done very deliberately. We saw the beginning with the unsoiled and the Dothraki and all that stuff. But, you know, ultimately in the dragon pit mm-hmm. set up that each side got there their grand entrance right and walk in and all this other stuff and they'll set up in place and immediately Cersei is pissed because <laughs> because Daenerys isn't there which right. was great assume that right from all the previews but there was a lot of nuance leading up to that but just in terms of the overall structure of this meeting it was set up it was it was a bunch of showing off and you know trying to intimidate each other and Cersei was off the wrong foot immediately. And I really enjoyed <laughs> right. that. Well, and, and Cersei, I mean, that they had planned it out so that she would be the last to arrive. Right. Right. And they probably waited yeah. for the first two groups to arrive and then probably signaled her time to come in. Yep. And uh, and then her thunder got stolen. And just like uh, Orangutan won, yep. depending about crowd size, <laughs> yep. uh, it's the same kind of thing. Little minions dusting <laughs> off her, her, right. her extreme black outfit, you know? Yep. Yeah. But if I may, on that on that royal entrance, I still just contemplate or wonder what would happen if Daenerys rode in and just blasted everybody. blasted the, the entire leadership team and just took them out in a surgical strike. Done. Done. <laughs> yes, yes. And then and then we'll just take your armies and we're going north. Thank you very much. Yes. Yeah, I really yeah. do have to kind of question them almost not doing that. Honestly, I mean, I know that's not how she wanted to do it, but that was the least bloody way to get. Cersei out of the picture right there. And they yeah. were stressing about when they proposed this meeting, they were stressing about the trap that she was going to lay for them. Right. And then, you know, plotting a thing on the side, you know, with Varys. But <laughs> but in the end, yeah. So the, leading up to the discussion, though, we had a lot of this was an interesting scene because a lot of these characters hadn't seen each other in seasons of time. And I was very aware of the fact that we judged the events in the show based on the things that are important to us watching this thing un, un, unfold mm-hmm. and, and sometimes it's kind of unfair we'll be like well why didn't you know like later on you know why isn't bran you know or you know why aren't people telling john about his you know his lineage well what the you know that's us deciding that that was important it. well but that, that's us deciding well that's an important thing that you should be thinking about among all the other important things mm-hmm. that you should be thinking about right so in a way it was interesting to see how the writers chose to to carefully uh, acknowledge that many of these characters had a background and a history with each other. And then they solved it with a very interesting shorthand that I really liked. They acknowledged everybody knew each other and how, but they didn't belabor it and make it too walkie talkie. It was very interesting. There there was no touchy feely, emotional, great to see you, that kind of thing, except for Braun and Tyrion. But well, yeah, but the, but, but at the same time, the, the, uh, the, the Brienne. Yeah, I love the the Brienne and Hound divorced yeah. parents discussing the child scene. I thought that, that was, was pretty great. 
that was absolutely fantastic. And, but they, but uh, they were talking about their relationship and good to see you. Yeah. They were fixed, uh, fixated on right. Aria. Right. Which is so, yeah, it was a divorced parent. So. I found it interesting that Braun had a role that he had. The, you know, the, the Lannister uh, monarchy or whatever, not a mon, is it a monarchy? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it didn't. It was a monarchy built on a telephone pole lineage. Yes. Yeah. So <laughs> they didn't need, they weren't short a, a uh, you know, an MC. So why Braun was even there in the first place, I'm not sure. And I only say that because he purportedly has a real problem with Lena Headey. Right. And they won't be together. And I don't remember which side of him has the problem, but they went to great lengths to have him introduce everybody and be like, you know, I'm Paul, and this is between y'all. And then he takes a, goes and gets a drink, yeah. and it was real and weird. But but if so, I'm just going to do the what if because I'm the conspiracy theorist yes. here. Well, they, you are. Yeah. Well, we all are. But what <laughs> if? Uh, so they they went away, and it was very selective. You know, let's let these royal fucks talk about yeah. and have a beer. But then there was some follow up results from that scene that implied there was a whole lot of intel gathering for the Lannisters somehow. Mm. Right. Yeah. That, that's how. Yeah. They that they knew something was afoot. Otherwise. Yeah. But at right? the same time, if if you're if you're suggesting that Bronn was no was grilling Podrick, Podrick doesn't know shit because he's been not with them. He's right. right. Well, except North. Right. Yeah. And they could have told him about the uh, yeah. Walker. Well, and it was interesting. I thought it was interesting to see Brienne and Podrick's response to the spectacular events that were unfolding there because. They were the two of the hero side, I guess, that hadn't seen the dragons or the White Walkers, right? Right. Mm-hmm. So that was a that was a you know that was a startling thing for them. Uh-huh. I you know it's all about Jamie Lannister reacting to things, right? <laughs> I just love. He's the best actor on He's this the show. Well, yeah, <laughs> one of them. I just love him going, "Oh crap." And later on, of course, his his scene with Cersei was amazing. But yeah. even at that time, when they're all setting up and he's uncomfortable on the chair and she's all rigid there and everybody's coming in, um, as the one guy on their side that has a has perspective on what's happening, it was amazing to watch him kind of squirm, going like, "This is so I'm so screwed," <laughs> you know. Yeah. I loved it. How interesting was it that the Hound brought the the zombie in in a box on his back? And dropped them on the ground, and they had that little that little bait and switch where they're like, "Well, is it dead?" And then that perfectly le- uh, measured length of chain. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I thought that was great. I love the the Hound of the Mountains little interaction too. I'm really happy they didn't have them fight. Well, there was no fight, and that was what was great about it. Well, right. because the, we get the order. The, the yeah. mountain is a veggie. Well, and the. What was neat about that was that the hound indicated that he could see his brother was still in there. Right. Because the question was, is he just an animate, reanimated zombie or is there something of him in there? And he saw it in his eyes or whatever that he was there. I thought that was very cool. Yeah. yeah me too. And I also thought the beat, the pacing of this was interesting that before they could even get into their whole thing, they have two times when people stepped up and just got interrupted. Um, I wanted to see guards kind of go forward knee-jerk reaction kind of go forward to restrain people who are getting up and walking around mm-hmm. but it was mostly just people just standing around while while someone walked up and said a thing but the whole thing with Euron was hilarious but, so i loved it at that point that as we find out later in this episode 
how did they know to stage that and for yeah. Huron to run off? That's a fa- that's a complete bullshit plot element right? that I don't think holds water at all. Unless unless Cersei's just lost it. Well, she right? well. So the only way it works is if she had said to Euron, "You will say whatever they're doing, whatever they're talking about, whatever they bring," because they probably told her, "We want to show you a white." Well, woman. well, or, and they said that they wanted a truce and that kind of thing. Yeah. Oh, so, right, I mean, right, right. So she probably just maybe. I mean, I guess you could rationalize that she said. You know, uh, at the beginning of this, you say you've had enough and you run away. Yeah. And then and then and execute your thing. But I don't know. At the same time, it almost wasn't even necessary. It was that that was all a framework to make us go, oh, cool, because it, it, he didn't even need to do that. They could have all just stood around and say, yep, everything's great. We're in it. Everything is fine. Even if she didn't know what the reason for the truth was. Right. She could have had it be like. Everything's great. Go have some wine. Let's celebrate, and then you go off and get the uh, you go off and get the, uh, the the conscript army. Right. So it, it felt like a construct for people watching the show to be surprised, and I didn't mind it because it worked on me. I was enjoying it. Oh yeah, totally. I I, I, actually I totally bought it. into it. I preferred it that Euron was actually leaving. I thought that was a great. Some people say that that was not a good for his character, but to me that seemed completely consistent. He wanted to. You know, get with the queen and and have all this. You know, ha- you know, get into this 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 shit, this uh, shit stirring scenario. But I imagine that he would be like, you know, in face with what he saw, be like, nope, I'm out. And yeah, to yeah. me, that's quite piratey. Yeah, I agree completely. Does anybody else think that Cersei's making up this whole pregnant thing? I do not. I do. I don't think so, and I'll tell you why. Because I don't think that she, and this skips ahead to her scene with Jamie, I don't think that she would have pushed Jamie the way she did if she didn't have the backup of the weird, obsessive, crazy mom thing about another baby to focus on. I don't, I, I don't, there was no mechanism, there's no strategic mechanism for making up a baby. Is cra- I can accept that she's crazy enough to, to, to make up a, something like a pregnancy. People do that in the real world. And it's weird. Yeah. It's, it's, the long game doesn't make sense. But at the same time, there's no reason for her to claim to have a baby with Jamie in the first place if she's going to uh, you know, basically throw him under the bus the way she did. But to me, I still think there's a lot of disconnects in that whole plot line and then – Huron as well. Yeah. The, the, yeah. I, I think there's, I don't know if there's some undercurrent there that they have uh, some inside knowledge and they're, and they're, they're, they're using it, but it just, a lot of it just seems incongruous. Well, it's interesting. The, the whole thing about her having a baby is, in, is interesting in the context of her curse or her, the, right. The, she's only going to have the three children that she would have these, which is also because we, we have these parents and children themes running throughout this mm-hmm. whole story. Setting aside George R.R. R. Martin's obsession, obsessions about weird things, there's a fundamental thing about the parents and then the children having to <laughs> deal with the sins of their parents and then how they either continue them or break from them. Right. And while we have Daenerys with, I mean, while we have uh, Cersei with, you know, possibly theoretically breaking her curse or whatever with a new pregnancy, if it's happening, mm-hmm. Daenerys has the same, right? She had a Oh, rich. It, yeah, yeah, she had a thing saying money, you'll be betrayed by money, power, 
in love or something like that. And, right? and she'll so, yeah. be killed by and, the little brother. Right. And you and then that's right. The, the little brother thing, which could go with Tyrion or Jamie. Right. Um, well, and then it, and the whole thing about, um, you know, Daenerys's belief in fertility. All that stuff is playing around with the power of the emotional power of these people who are throwing everything, life or death, on all of these people that are affected by their actions. Everything is about this hubris, about their ego to lead and be on the throne and be in charge. Mm -hmm. But without heirs, it's a metaphor for the way we all live, right? With, with the, without the, our expectations about what our children are going to do in the modern world, if you consider nobility without an heir, everything about you is defined by will, will your heir continue your bloodline mm -hmm. and, and you know, continue the legacy that you've set up. And you have people on both sides here who don't have a legitimate heir. And I think that's a thing, right, mm -hmm. about the rationale for what they're doing. But to me, that the uh, it's uh, to me that adds more credence to the fact of why she's so desperate to have a baby that she's convinced herself that she is having. I think it'd be interesting if she's not pregnant but thinks she is. Yeah, she's not making it up. Right? Well, and that's possible too, just from from Crazy yeah. Pants McGee and his the way he runs things. It's extremely possible that he's telling her that. Right. Or what if what if Clyburn engineered a weird uh, like a little, you know, like, a, you know, like the meat. What's that one? Crazy <laughs> Total -based, recall. Two-faced Chan. Or what's that one where the, the what was the one? Basket case. What if there's like a crazy mutant that he's up, you know, <laughs> got up in there and it's never mind. Oh God, that'd be <laughs> terrible. I'd love it. But it's out. It was a different kind of thing. You'd like it even more on your other podcast. probably. <laughs> But before we leave that scene, what about where uh, Jon Snow yes. bends the knee virtually? Okay, so that right? was, okay, so the whole deep scene is set up to intimidate her. She's well intimidated. They give her they actually give her information in a in a uh, you know a Jack in the box from hell. Thing. They say, you know, <laughs> they can't swim, you can burn them, you can't kill them without dragonglass. They give her all this information to intimidate her and get her to agree to the truce. And then she pulls that maneuver, and I thought that was very interesting. So let's talk about why she did that in the first place. Before John effed it all up with some questionable writing, actually. Right. What, think about Cersei and why she would say, okay, you've got your truce. Everything's fine. Crazy zombies to the north. Sounds great, except the north has to stay out of any conflict between the Targaryens and the Lannisters. Now, why would she actually do that? Because it's not like – I mean I know she's out of troops. Mm -hmm. Until the conscript army shows up. And yes, the North has some troops, but they're also in the way. Yeah. Yeah. And if you believe that she was expecting all along that whatever is going to happen. So if she knows that there's an invasion from the North as the rumor of why they're coming down for a truce, that there is these rumors of White Walkers. And I couldn't really tell whether she had been hearing this or not. Yeah, but I'm not sure either. Yeah, and, and, and maybe that she had been um, – primer about this because she seemed to be aware of that this was going to be the context of the truce to me i don't know I, I think a lot of that was actually explained during that meeting with Tyrion that we just didn't get like like that they're bringing some sort of proof and that they want proof yeah. to fight the white walkers that kind of shit yeah like, i feel the like way she, she acts that it's implied that she knew that kind of stuff was going to happen i mean it, it i guess it it is interesting because it's actually somewhat irrelevant because if those three major factions are, you know, going and aligning against the wall, 
even if on the left flank you've got the Starks and Winterfell, and in the middle flank you've got the Lannisters, and on the right flank you've got uh, Daenerys. The Lancers are still in the middle. Right. Well, right? Or, yeah, I don't, I, we don't get a sense. We don't get a sense of the number of troops that each of these factions have. But we've always gotten this. We've gotten this sort of impression that the Starks are not that plentiful. Right. They, they have people in the north, but they had all these sub clans that were were they had sub clans that were swearing fealty to the king in the north, and then the king in the north's allegiance with the monarchy in the south was a question mark. But then they then they actually explicitly call out when uh, they left to go visit uh, Dragonstone that uh, the Youngin King and uh, and Jon Snow talked about how many troops they had, and I thought they were talking like somewhere in the neighborhood of five to seven thousand. Well, yeah, right? so I don't know yeah. how that relates to Cersei's current troop levels, or before or after of the burning of the Rose Rose Road. Uh, I'd say I'd say that to me it seems like the Starks and the Lannisters are kind of equally matched, and then Daenerys has got like fifteen thousand yeah. Raven. Right, 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 and, and she's got all the extra plus the dragons. Right. Yeah. So my question so, about that: Do you think they? Uh, do you think Cersei wanted them out of the, the the conflict because they are hoping that they'll go up and fight the White Walkers and get wiped out, the Northmen? Or do you think she's hoping that they won't do anything to help if they don't bend the knee and that's how I, they'll get rid of Daenerys? My impression was – my impression – oh, someone's holding his mouth shut. I, my impression was that she said – you know, the King of the North has to stay out of this. But has to I go to Winterfell. It has to go to Winterfell and stay out of it. Oh, and she I did say that, didn't she? Yeah. Yeah. And I thought that it was about breaking Daenerys's Westerosi support. So no, that that's, now she's that's a fair being an invading army. What if Baelish and Cersei were in concert with each other and she was expecting Baelish to help take Snow out if yeah. he was able Ooh, to be successful pursuing Sansa? Although, if that were the case, John being away from Winterfell and having the Lady of Winterfell in place would be better for undermining the North, if that's the case. Not un- unless, was unless you wanted to take him off the board I, I don't think, and send him off to Winterfell where he could get struck down. I don't think Baelish was an agent of Cersei. I think he was running his own. <laughs> I don't I know. Think I think it's possible, honestly. Now that he says that, it kind of makes sense to a certain extent. That Baelish well, has something else going besides just uh, Sansa there. Yeah, I feel like yeah, he's yeah. smart enough to have more than one card on the table. At least at one point he was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true that. Okay, so I have to give them credit for the zombie scene because they did a great job. I've always been concerned. I always have problems when tonally you have a, a setting and then something happening in that setting that's incongruous. For example... It's kind of an easy uh, pot shot, but when when Lucas chose to stage the great battle of Naboo, Lucas, who own army and all those tanks and all that crap on a grassy field, I can't believe you it, took us there. Yes, I was well, actually in a good mood until no, you no, just took no, us no. there. I just had to, I just had to rewatch this. I love Naboo. I love the architecture. I love the architecture of Naboo. I loved all that stuff. I'm breaking up. But when you, get to, when you get to the grassy field. <laughs> We're never ever, this, ever getting back together again. When you get all those troops on this weird, fully illuminated, one in the afternoon, sunny field, there was no tension whatsoever. You know, you look at images from World War One and these other, and even the early skirmishes before the landscape has been 
just completely destroyed by, you know, trenches and boots and whatever else and is a muddy bog, they were launching gas and they were doing a bunch of crap. And it was like, there was never, you, you didn't have a scenario where everyone's just like trolling through the open fields at each other. I don't know. It, I think, I think wide open, bright colors can be tense and intense. It's just that it has to really be filmed right for it. Troy, my point Troy. is, if I was I was really wondering how they were going to pull off opening a box of zombie in King's Landing and yeah. make it scary. And it was some of the best of practical effects combined with CGI effects work. No, You've seen that great scene yeah. stuff they that, mm-hmm. where he's got a green nose and a green part of an arm and everything else was him. Yeah, acting. that guy did an amazing job. That was an incredibly scary and awesome fast moving zombie which was very different from the sh- the shambling mounds we've seen a lot of times on the, the walking north. dead and right yeah. well even right. up in the north they're yeah. they're marching very slow I love it the- was really neat to see it just go ape shit but i think that's because they're just marching yeah right? we've seen yeah, yeah. them up north well that's what go, i'm saying go ape shit bananas we've seen right? them mostly be slow until they've been sent to attack and then they attack and right. then they're and then they're kind of just like guys in suits attacking yeah. right they're even being right. stabbed human this thing just launched out of there like a wolf spider, right? That was really cool. I thought it was really fun. I was surprised, though. I was surprised that, that it, took, it took that kind of persuasion to get him out of the box. Well, <laughs> I thought, yeah. Hey, they got a nap occasionally, right? Yeah, but well, I just thought it was surprising because there's been a lot of inconsistency about how that, the, um, the mountain acts. I was really surprised that the mountain wouldn't have lurched forward when it was like gnashing at the, the chain right in her face. He didn't what, what, move. I but think what he if, only if, moves if he's ordered to. I don't think so. People have approached her, and he steps up in front of them and blocks them. Yeah, Repeated. That's true. People have stepped up, and he go, he goes and blocks them. But maybe it's only the, the living. There could be a thing there. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, that's true. Haven't we haven't really broken what the difference is between them? Yeah. Okay, so John John says I can't bend the knee because I've bent my. I can't to do another. a threesome. I'm monogamous. Well, yeah, I bent my knee to another. <laughs> I can't. I can't tell a lie, even though I'm, I, I'm the bastard yeah. son of of Ned Stark and Abraham Lincoln, or whatever. Yes, but I mean, it, it's hard to fathom uh, a reality where he would willingly bend the knee to Cersei. No, no. I mean, they were just expecting no him. Way. They were just hoping that he would be like, sure, whatever you want, and then and then not do it. But what's interesting about this is, I almost feel like. The shorthand in the story is that John has gotten to the point where he's become he's doubled down on his convictions. He's mm-hmm. learned to, they've kind of shown that he's learned a little bit that he's been too much like his father and, you know, put himself he, he's been un, he's been non strategic through altruism and it bit bit him in the ass. But I feel like they've shown well, like he's, I'm dead. He's made the choice <laughs> to double down on that and yeah. saying, well, this is who I am. In the previous episode, he says, "My, you know, we're just going to defend the people who can't defend themselves, and we're going to be a light in the dark, and maybe that's our role." It's almost like he chose. It's like he decided that that's he's just going to be that who, guy who he is. But what's interesting is he's lied before about his situation, and look at the thing last time where Arya was given Sansa a bunch of crap about hanging out in King's Landing and everything that led to Ned's death when she spent a whole season giving Tywin wine. Right, pretending to be someone else. Yeah. So wishy-washy with their their yeah, but, highfalutin attitudes about other people's piety. But isn't isn't that always the case? I yeah. mean, moral relativism is always directed outwards, not inwards. I agree, absolutely. Right? So anyway, I like that they showed the characters going. 
I like what you did. I appreciate what you did. But did you have to do it? I thought that yeah. was really <laughs> But then I, I also think that that declaration and that sticking to his moral guns, if you will, really set up the scene with Theon. Yes, yes. And also made a big difference in a very important scene that immediately came after that. Right, right. Where Theon finally got his fine and stood up for himself. Right. And I think, I think from that from that perspective, just alone, I think that decision was justified overall because I, obviously that's going to be a pivotal moment in reconciling the whole... Him talking to Theon was him talking thing, to himself right? in the future by accident. Yes. Yeah, for sure. And, and sure. how they're going to reconcile that and... Uh, just because Huron went off to fetch somebody with a boat doesn't mean he comes back with them on a boat. Well, okay, so I really liked, in, in context, I really liked John saying, no, I can't do that, and then it being like, okay, it's off, I'm out. Because so many real-world negotiations have fallen, whether it's corporate world or whether it's war or whether it's politics. North Korea. There's so many things <laughs> that set up in, in our history where they almost had it dialed in and then someone was a hothead and it fell apart. Or yeah. someone said the wrong thing or wouldn't, get, wouldn't bend. And then the whole thing collapsed. Somebody pulled a bonehead yeah. move. Right. Somebody tweeted. And I, yeah. <laughs> and I appreciated that she's like, okay, I'm out. And then walked away. And they kind of panicked. I thought that was really cool. And the only thing about that whole sequence that I didn't really enjoy, you know, even after Ty- uh, Tyrion went and talked to her and all that whole thing. Well, we got, was we great. Got, we got, but we got to dwell on that. We got to dwell on that because that, that. We will. But what I didn't like is then she's like, okay. And then she walked all the way back out. And we had that the long march of her and everybody coming back to the table. Mm-hmm. And from a production standpoint, they needed to cut to her coming back in some way that was faster than the long march back to the table again. Couldn't they just because that was so awkward. It <laughs> 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 opened before it started with these like high-speed rings. They just launch an arrow that just shunk into the middle of the floor that's like, all right. <laughs> yeah, because I... Um... Hey, before we get that was the thing that really stuck in my maw about this episode. The, the, that the Tyrion of, thing. Yeah. Well, but before we get to that, one other thing I want to mention on this on this meeting, there were two two things. One, I thought it was really cool that she chose the dragon pits because it was a metaphor for yeah. the for trying to undermine the, the the awe of Daenerys having these big dragons because she's trying to remind. Well, I've seen it all. We've seen it all before, and in the end, they died away, and all this other stuff. A lot of bones and everything else. Yeah, they, they right. turned into dogs. But knowing that there's an aerial threat. Yes. Yeah. It was from dragons that could literally come in and odd turn choice. you into charcoal. Odd choice. Right? And it was an incredible scene. A drag, dragon mm-hmm. came and stepped on the thing. Like, yeah. But why not from underneath yeah. King's Lair right. where they have all the skulls of right. the big dragons there. Right. right. And, every and, wall, and every wall is green with the dragon fire or whatever. <laughs> and, then, and then there's no chance of an, of an aerial threat. I just no, I totally agree. It right? did make sense. But also, the other thing I really liked was um, I really enjoyed the fact that they were constantly trying because in the end here, it's really Tyrion versus Cersei in terms of their battle of wits. Right. And I it's really interesting that she immediately tried, or her side immediately went after him in all the obvious yes. ways with Euron undermining him physically and all that other stuff. And then Theon and them kind of kind of lashing back like you know lame joke blah 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 you know like that i know you are but what am i yeah that whole back and forth (laughs) and you see Tyrion like just like taking a pause be like okay back to the important stuff you know everything about that i really really enjoyed the scene but i mean come on you don't think Tyrion's dealt with far better and far worse insults oh totally huron oh totally totally but right in the time when he's trying to make this big presentation presentation and then they're undermining him okay so we get to Tyrion going 
having to do his his dangerous walk and go back and talk to her and try to bring her back to the table. So yes. tell me tell me what you how, how did you feel about well, that? I want to hear Chris first because we don't mm-hmm. yeah. Chris. Well, well, in my opinion, with that, I just I I feel like they they left off an interesting part of it just strictly for drama for the viewers. Yeah, and I think that's kind of silly. What did you think that they should have left in that you're... Well, I just... I think the whole... Okay, we're going to fade out from this conversation with Tyrion and Cersei and pick up as they walk back to the dragon pit while Tyrion tries to act dejected and then at the end is like, psych! Kind of thing. I just... That part right there just seemed really silly to me. Well, there's an interesting uh, alternative to that, that what they said actually was a lot more uh, capricious and malevolent than both. Yeah, no, I, but yeah, I'm sorry, malevolent that maybe <laughs> now that Tyrion has kind of been welcomed back to the family, that he hasn't been killed mm-hmm. and he said, and he didn't want to kill the Lannisters. What if they came to some bargain that, I guess that's true. There could have been something else there that we are not privy to. Right. Because they left it open-ended, and but suddenly that's the next scene. And check your timestamp. You got to pause it. What are you doing here? I might ask the same of you. What is it you hope to accomplish? Okay, we're back. Sorry, so guys. we had a, a dog break there. <laughs> yeah. So okay, but before we get to Tyrion and what we don't know about what they talked about, which is important. Mm-hmm. Did you have any other thoughts about the? the dragon pit scene as a whole and how it was constructed. And then the fact that he had to come to the conclusion that he had to go talk to her at great risk. I think they did a better job with it than anything else that they could have possibly done for it. I mean, the, the risk that he ensues going in by himself, I thought that was so ominous and freaky. Well, and this is a guy that they spent the first three seasons. Basically he's just, boozing and screwing around no, and was not a soldier boring. huh boring. yeah boring yeah. and constantly being told by his parent by his father and his older sibling that he is garbage and he has no spine and all this and he did the bravest thing in this whole scene right yeah yeah absolutely well but he did the he did the only thing that was possible to him well, right? I don't know because he he kind of sent an emissary brokered this deal he could have sent an emissary but Cersei wasn't mad at any emissary. Yeah. The big point that they had to reconcile with is was John, between, though, not him. No, but John. I don't think anyone she... else could have convinced her. There's no way they could have sent anyone else and had a satisfactory outcome on that. True, but there's any number of scenarios, including even on this show, uh, with both Jamie and Theon having panic attacks in battle. Uh, there's no reason to say that just because he was the only one that could talk to her means that he would automatically go talk to her. There are any number of stories about someone who's, you're the one that has to go out there and go defuse that bomb and they can't move their, they can't move their legs. But without a united front, without a united front, the the collective wisdom there is that they're fucked. I just didn't feel like it was, I felt like it was bold and exciting and I felt like he chose to do it. And that was what was exciting. I didn't feel like it was like everyone's looking at him like, well, you got to go do this. And he had no choice. No, I, I feel don't like think that's the case at all. There's a grenade and I have to go. I'm not, I'm not questioning his bravery, but I, I think I think it was an unavoidable outcome if they were going to try and reach 
the outcome that they wanted. There was only one person that could have gone into that room yeah, I agree. and made that happen. I agree. Because Patrick was out of the room at this point. Right. Well, yeah. But also, I think in, in earlier seasons, this would have been an interesting long-form episode that was all this scene. Yes, I agree. The, yeah. Beginning to end, because they could have stretched this out a little bit and had lots of really snippy, interesting dynamics, and it would have been real. Oh, and just some really awful truths yes. exposed. Yeah. Because Tyrion didn't say anything about, so you're stupid, our brother, and, yeah, and right, right, and anything like that, yeah, and, and right. how you warped our our father's legacy, and really just cut each other. But it down wasn't a negotiation of surrender, though. They were they were dodging talking about they were dodging talking about how much they felt like King's Landing was fucked, and they were not going at that was not the you're right though yeah, but they, they didn't talk about it but I think it was by design they didn't talk about it uh, yeah. no yeah, so I, the way I recollect it they started off talking about father yeah and 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 also how bad did you screw us over when you eliminated the pedophilia and. Are my children died as a result of it, and oh, I love the children. And like but that was in the private meeting. I was talking about meeting. the private meeting. Okay, okay. So let's. All right, I thought we were still talking about the dragon pit. No, no, I'm I thought we were talking about dragon. the private meeting. I feel like they could have had. We could have had another twenty minutes of of Barb's oh. challenges in the public in the public meeting. meeting. Okay, sorry. Um, and it could have been. Very I think. I think it was a. It was kind of too formal of location for that to a certain extent. I actually mm-hmm. think they had about the right amount of barbs during that part, personally. I really wanted I really wanted a scene visually. After Drogon landed and mm-hmm. stepped on art on the on the on the little uh, uh, archways, now <laughs> you know, whatever, and then and I loved the effect, the nuance that he he, tw- he leans twists and leans to the side. I'm doing it right now for Blake. He twists and leans to the side and she steps off of him like stairs. Yeah. That was amazing. It was so powerful. I loved it. But what I wanted visually was a long shot of the arena and I wanted both dragons perched, one on opposite sides looking down into the arena like you're completely surrounded by these giant dragons looking down. I, I understand. They didn't do it. I, but I, I understand how that. cool that scene is. Yeah. But after what transpired in the episode, prior, oh, totally. Get your most valuable asset oh, out yeah, of harm's way. I totally yeah, no agree. Shit. Yeah, just thought that from a scale factor, it would have been so amazing. Because yeah, yeah, it would have been great. Things are at a scale now where there's nothing in that world that's as big as that dragon. Right. And I that I love how big they are now, except for the undead dragon. Josh. <laughs> so okay, so Tyrion, so Tyrion goes in, and even before he gets to Cersei, though, we have that the incredible Jamie. scene with Jamie. Jamie, who's my second favorite character on the show, right? Yeah. Oh, so loved that scene. Yep. From one idiot to another. Oh, just amazing. <laughs> just amazing. The, the, the resignation on his face and so, the pain in his eyes. I just, this whole thing, just, there's something that's going to be revealed downstream from this because it's the way it played out and the way that. Uh, I just think there's something more there than we're aware of. I think there's something. I think that's possible. Yeah. Tyrion and Cersei that we just don't know. Yeah. It could even be as far as something where he agreed to sacrifice himself at the end or something. Well, but I, yeah, but I feel like he's always, I think that they've established that he's had um, sympathy for and, and empathy towards Tyrion and has been oh, trapped by the, trapped by the dynamics of the family to not and when he did uh show that compassion and free him 
and Tyrion goes, and then it leads to a circumstance where Tyrion ends up killing their father and making a run for it. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, that that really knocked him down a, a severe amount with Cersei. So I, I think that's a really interesting dynamic. But I think I think what really made a difference for Jaime, obviously from the from the writing and everything else, is that when he found out that Tyrion did not poison Joffrey. Yes. Yeah. And I think that Tyrion was just as much a victim as anybody else in the sad little opera that is the Lannisters. And how amazing was it that he told Cersei that last episode? She's like, I don't care. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, 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 you, she turned it right on him. I like that it wasn't a sudden turn on him. It was a gradual turn on him. I liked in the previous episode, she was like, and you took my opportunity to flay her away from me or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so that was, that's the solution to her level of denial. We've seen that story before. Well, People in denial about acknowledging their own loss and their own uh, role in their loss. Well, look, but, and, and let's not forget about what's going on to two unfortunate souls down in the basement of King's Landing. That's right. The right. Dorn. Sisters of the Snake, the mom and daughter. Oh, uh, that's right. Yeah, right? I forgot about that. Any questions about the lethality? Ma- she's oh, counting maggots at this point. <laughs> horrible maggots. Well, but at the same time, though, uh, I think it's interesting that I think it's interesting that they are not playing Cersei as a Mad Queen yet. She's still being played. She's still playing her as really wound up. Emotionally unstable, making terrible decisions, but they're she playing wants, her. As she still wants still, to be her dad too much right now. I think she's being she's being strategic, and she's and, and even though the fundamentals of her decisions are irrational about keeping the throne, about taking the power back, and about like I don't care about the people, destroy them all. I just want to be in control, and that's an irrational. And, and he keeps saying in the long picture, "What is the point of this?" And you don't are you not are you kidding me? Which I love those. Exchanges between them. She's her fundamentals in her decision making are heavily flawed, but her actual thought process and logic behind what she does is very sound and consistent. And, and, consistent. and I right. feel like that's really interesting because if they had painted her as a mad queen, like if they had painted her at this point as being like "get out of my room" and throwing throwing wine glasses and being crazy. It would have been too easy to write her off. Yeah, right. Just, it, it would have been too easy to write her off as crazy. Yeah. And it's much more fun that you don't really know where the crazy is in her. Right. I like that a lot. Yeah, yeah crazy absolutely. The, um, but the, so the other thing that I just don't understand on this is that when she tells the mountain, like the, the so there's a very binary set of circumstances here, right? With How Tyrion does she communicate with the mountain? And the mountain. No, and right. then. And then with Jamie and the mountain. Oh yeah, that scene was. I was on fucking pins and well, needles during that. You two, you have two circumstances, one after the other, where she signaled the intent to get ready to chop heads, and then she didn't execute the signal to chop heads. And the nuance is that she's just kind of making gestures. And how is he even? How are they even communicating? I don't care. It worked for me. Yeah, but well, I'm saying the fact that the mountain. So she, me, it was more of the extent that the mountain with Tyrion only you know did the samurai yeah. show right yeah. and right. then with me it's game on i feel right? like she i feel like she intended to i feel like based on how the conversation with jamie was going she intended she actually intended to kill jamie but with Tyrion, it was it was actually more beneficial for her to keep him alive it was so a negotiation negotiation tactic more than anything she's putting, 
it, yeah, she was putting the effort into into playing Tyrion to go back and say that the thing was on. With Jamie, she was belittling him. I don't know what her end game was, but I feel like she was she felt betrayed from the previous meeting. I feel like she was so betrayed by him that she was basically just bitterly lashing. Just writing him off. Writing him off because she's got a baby now. She's writing him off. And I feel like she was prepared to have him killed. And in the end, she just couldn't pull the trigger. Yeah. Which I think is very So Tyrion. Okay, really quickly. So Tyrion, Tyrion has that little, that little debate with her. And then she says, oh, I'm pregnant. Look at my belly. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> cut scene. They're back in action. But that whole sequence was some of the best Game of Thrones we've had. Oh, yeah, yeah. But but I, I think the there's drama a between them was right. amazing. Well, especially when he uh, he doesn't get killed. He's like, kill me, kill me now, whatever. Tries to call her bluff. And it doesn't happen. And then he goes over and, like, chugs the wine. And then, and then pours a glass for her. And, you know, that scene was so cool because of how Joffrey died. Right, right. <laughs> right. And right. the whole thing that uh, – right, right. Right? And according to my view, I didn't I didn't rewatch it. But my takeaway was that he handed her the glass he drank from. No, it was a different glass. I watched it twice. Oh, okay. I I was, wanted, did I did she too. drink from it? I was going to rewatch it to see. Yeah. She did not. Ah, but he, okay. poured himself, he poured himself a second glass in the original cup and drank it. I think to convince her that he wasn't trying to kill her. Yeah, interesting. I thought that was an amazing scene. Yeah, it was great. Missing Link and how they resolved that, and I'm concerned. So skipping, I mean, briefly, just to his involvement in the end of the episode, there's that weird foreshadowing thing where he's looking at the very end. He has that dark look at mm-hmm. Daenerys' cabin quarters or whatever, and there's a lot of different ways to interpret that. But going just from this perspective, one of the one of the curiosities here is, did did he make a deal with the devil? Yeah, did he make some sort of promise that's now getting fucked because these or guys have hooked he, up together? Or did he make a promise that he was going to betray for oh, their that's help? possible, too. Was he going to betray one or the other of them when the time came? I when the time true. came, would he be in a position that he was being forced to back out of this because of the deal he made with her? But right. I'm not positive because I don't find that Tyrion would have... I don't find that he would commit to anything he said he would do. No. Unless he already gave information. Yeah, that's true. He couldn't possibly be uh, feeling awkward about a future plan or, 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 or promise to betray them. It has to be. If that's what was happening in that scene, it has to be about something he's already given. Yeah, we I would think know. so. Yeah. But anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll leave that for the, for that point. But, um, did you have any other thoughts on the Tyrion and Cersei exchange? No, I think that 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 covers it pretty well. I think it was probably one of the strongest scenes in the in the episode from a overall perspective. I mean, obviously there's some more dramatic scenes and like like explosively wow scenes, but I think from a from an acting standpoint, I think it was one of the strongest scenes in the episode. So we've talked about whether it's possible that Tyrion made a deal. We talked about whether it's possible that Tyrion made a deal with the devil in that room about either a future betrayal or more likely gave information, critical information as part of that negotiation that will bite him, bite them all later. I don't know. But the equally interesting was they leave and start talking about they're going to make plans to go north. And, he, and then Jamie comes in and says, OK, we're going to move armies X to this position and armies Y to that position. We're going to immediately march. Everything's great. We have no we have no principle of supply because we burned all our shit, but we're gonna kick some backpacks and we're gonna go north or whatever. <laughs> and then she's like, "Of course you're not, you idiot." 
you're the dumbest Lannister. And she just tears into him. Yeah. And that whole was like, it was almost fan service level. I was so like jonesing for the final confrontation, whether it was going to end in him beheading her or not. I just really wanted the final fallout. And what I loved about it was they didn't, they didn't stoop to him, her berating him and him getting pissed and them getting into a, a fight and then them both being pissed at each other. And then they, and then they have a clash. Right. It was straight up him being wounded and having despair and being incredulous about her irrationality and just finally coming, just hitting critical mass on this is too crazy. Right. Loved it. So there's only two options. No, 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 wait. But but (laughs) but the thing that I really found ironic and somewhat poetic is that he said, I made a promise. Right. 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 And and that that was his, his basic principle upon which he made a stand. He defended it based on, well, if not all unite on this, it's living versus the dead. It's not the house's It's interesting. They're talking, they're trying but, to hammer into us that he's made this arc, this character arc, where he's become an honorable person. But he's but a it was only slayer. Three, but he was only he's three. He's king kingslayer. I know, but that's the irony. <laughs> but only three episodes ago, he marched on Highgarden. So, yeah. No, wait, he's the kingslayer. He has made so many promises and took yeah. so many oaths, yeah. and he's... He pooped on all of them. It's true. Right? And <laughs> it, was, it was for effect, and it didn't make a whole lot of sense in the narrative. But I'm just saying it was really powerful. Yeah. It was an incredible oh, no, no. scene. I, I'm, not, I'm not disputing the power of it. I'm just – I love him getting exasperated at the insanity as someone who has on occasion had to be exasperated at the insanity of someone else I'm talking to. You, well, and I think he genuinely thought that she might be taking this threat seriously, and I think – He's blown yeah, he, away to think that she's still trying to do her little machination bullshit. And, but don't you think she took the threat seriously? She's just having a bunker mentality response yeah, to it. Totally. Yeah. yeah. And, and it was kind of denial too. Yeah. It was survivalist and denial. But also, I think there was a lot to the fact that he pointed out you you conspired with Iran against without including me. Yeah. True. Like it wasn't even like her her saying, "Well, this is the deal. We're actually going to come around and, and and kick their ass from behind." It wasn't even that she had executed this whole plan that out, and that was planning to betray the North and all the other stuff. It wasn't even that. He thinks she's crazy for not thinking of the long game. But it wasn't just that she made these these moves. It was that she made these moves and excluded him. That he was her own king's, you know, her own brother and head of her guard or whatever it is, and baby and, daddy, and baby daddy, and she didn't even <laughs> tell him about this. Stuff. Yeah. But I think he was. A, but don't you think it was also a little bit of payback in her mind? For what totally. he did with Tyrion, I don't think it was just totally. a tip for tat. Which he didn't think, think so too. Which still doesn't think, which he still doesn't think was betrayal because he didn't manipulate. It. He didn't right. put it in an action. Right. He was he was played into it. Yeah. By Bron. He was, he was encouraged into that meeting. He heard some incredible stuff. And by the way, that's how that's how we know that she knew about the zombie because he went back to say they got they want to do a truce. There's some crazy stuff happening. They're going to bring the truth. They're going to be right, right. And her thing about well, you be, you know. You know, well, you, you you talk behind my back, and you know we've seen that in people's hurtful, bitter response to yeah. social dynamics, where they're completely missing the point about the big picture, and all they care about is how did you get that information, right. or why did you know who did you talk to, who yeah. told you that, <laughs> right? So yeah, I don't know. Yeah, interesting, interesting. So Jamie leaves, and we get this one poetic moment where they slow down for a second, and we have this beautiful cinematography of a snowflake landing on his glove and he looks up and the snow so is good. King's landing. And in any other season, that would have been the final shot for the season. Right. Yeah. One more question. Yes. Why isn't Braun with him? 
I wondered that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and my biggest, my biggest sadness in that whole thing is that he lost that sweet ass armor. <laughs> he took the King's Landing armor off. I was kind of I'm sorry. Him dressed up gone. in dragon armor. Him dressed up. Trust me, he's going to be looking like a badass in total yeah. black dragon. Yeah. Wear. I don't know. Oh, anyway, sure I he would look really amazing in the black dragon scale shit. Every time <laughs> he would show up, he had the lion relief on his shoulder pads. Blah, 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 blah. Was amazing. Dude, I'm telling you, his hand. Yes. With the mount of yes. dragon class sword on it. Yes. Just chopping away stabby. things. Yeah, stabby, baby. Stabby. Yeah. All right, I'm down. All right, so yeah, where's where's Bronner? We don't even know, but he's off. He's, he's heading on, north he's on a bender, but a he's really heading north. Bender. What's weird about it is he's heading north without troops, right? He just took off. <laughs> well, I think it, that that was his only play, right? Because yeah. when you try to take yeah. troops, then he probably would have killed him. No, yeah, I think so. We were saying last episode it would be great if they had fished him out and said, <laughs> "You're on our side now," but here he is, and he's going to end up on their side without you know any political. But it's a. Uh, but that, that's what he does, right? When he goes about these, when he goes on these walkabouts, yes, right. Uh, that that's his modality. He doesn't like to go out with a big posse. He just likes to go out by himself. There was one other. He's thing. a loner. I mean, yeah. he's, by definition, he's just a loner. Even more than than. Uh, Even when he was going. leading troops, he was uncomfortable with it. Yeah. yeah, right. So there's a component to the scene that we did talk about, which is that there was this brief moment of respite where John and Danny had a little sidebar in a cave or a little outcropping or whatever, where they start talking about uh, fertility. You know how how John loves caves? He does love them caves. You know nothing, Jon Snow. <laughs> and uh, I just rewatched that whole uh, Red red Nose Day thing with uh, Coldplay. Did you guys you guys remember no, that No, God, one? no. Oh, I thought you <laughs> no, were no. going to say you rewatched the Greek scene or something. Just uh, <laughs> YouTube of that, all of their scenes compressed. But anyway, I watched that one again, and my favorite part of that whole thing is that when he's doing his wild thing, wildling song, she's sitting there like, yeah, <laughs> like in the front seat, like that's <laughs> Anyway, so yeah. So they have that little moment, and they're talking about, it was good. It worked for me. So they're having that little moment, and they're talking about, do you really know that you can't have kids, and why are we talking about this, and it's a little bit weird. But it was all well, for it's a It's kind of saying we don't need to worry about yeah. safe sex. because We don't need to, yeah. to break out the, the, the sheepskin tonight. I don't even think it was sheepskin. I think it was dragon skin. Oh, right? God. That, that, that little dragon jaw. <laughs> the little dragon jaw. That's the worst. <laughs> with this line. For her. All right. So the next so I guess the next location is Dragonstone, home of the dragon tooth uh, prophylactic. And we have this whole plan to travel to Winterfell, and they come to the conclusion that John and Danny have to travel together in order to send a symbol to the North that they're in allegiance well, no. rather, than, <laughs> rather than that John is just bending to her. Right. And they decide that the way to do this is to travel by boat by themselves in water that's infested with urons. And shrieking needles. Why didn't they just, you know, just both ride a dragon over there, you know? But well, I think anyways. they had to show up with the combined armies as well kind of thing. Right, they had that plan to, to do that maneuver. And, and, and basically the, the primary focus of this scene was to have the John and, and Theon confrontation, which was actually very, very satisfying. I it think was. That, yeah, I think, that, um, I think that he's a really underrated actor. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, Rice, what, what is his name? Uh, new, uh, it's Theon. Alfie Allen. Alfie. Alfie. Yeah, um... 
the little brother of the famous song. Anyway, I think it was really interesting. I think he did a great, I've actually liked him all the way, even when he was, you know, having all of his PTSD and all that stuff. I thought it was very interesting acting, mm-hmm. but what a great scene because John is not only taking a high road, but he's talking to himself in the future with that. So here's right? my question though. If you get your testicles and Wang removed, yes. Yes. Does it not hurt anymore? Because oh, I uh, come feel on now. That was, like <laughs> that, well, not only was that was that dramatic lice, but they did it like five times. Yeah. It was like you know, it's like five rapid uh, knees and and uh, yeah, I think that if you were to nail me under my arm five times, I would be in right. Right. So, like I feel I, like like that's the scene in Karate Kid where they start to play Eye of the Tiger or something yeah. like that. It's just a symbolic thing, right? Yes, they were just showing their their incredulity that he was not going down. <laughs> no, but that, that without his manhood, he's, he can his still rise above it. His greatest weakness becomes a source of strength. Right here, he's also I, of course. But, I mean, I really love that scene on the beach. So that was the scene on the beach when he goes and tells him he's going to be there. And I really like the fact that after that battle, he basically was rolling around on the sand. All no, and up. washed his face with the ocean. Washed his face with yeah, the ocean. Yeah, that would have hurt, but I loved it. And then I really loved that he was so weak, and then they helped him up and all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, everything I scene was very inspiring. I loved it. So let me ask you what you guys think is going to happen with that, because Euron isn't back on uh, the Iron Islands now. He's off picking up the Golden Company or whatever. So do you think and they're going to find yeah, him? They are is on the Iron Islands somewhere, when in fact I would suspect that she's chained up in his ships. Yeah, that's my assumption as well. I figured they're going to show up in Pike and there's not going to be anybody there. Well, it's interesting. The way this show has been working the last season, they will suddenly be wherever he is. You know? Yeah, that's right. They're going to encounter him in the gloom, coming back with the ferrying all these people, which, by the way, even adding to all of the issues with building this armada with no resources and no time and all this other stuff and then having a magical silent ship and all that other stuff, uh, ferrying troops is an entirely different mechanism than, you know, attack ships. So yes. here's here's another fatal flaw. In addition to not scorching the earth uh, with Cersei's bones, yes, uh, out there in the Dragonland. Uh, so Lannister, Jamie, is set free. He knows that Huron's going off to go right. ferry a troop. Right. Is he going to tell order. them? You're yeah. going to tell them, and oh well, then we'll just send the dragons, and we know what they can do with boats. Yeah, um, I hope so. Right. I hope so. Who's so, to say? So that was so okay. So that was Dragonstone. Yep. Any any other thoughts on that? Like you were wandering, you were doing some some childhood. Then we will go on a boat together. Yes. Need <laughs> <laughs> some quality time, obviously. Yes. <laughs> I had the lava lamp. Do yes. you have the feathers? Yes. Okay. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly right. I, I brought my my wall chalk. It was yeah. Well, like what I said earlier, when you stepped away, it was like Sorry. they didn't they didn't come to the conclusion that the show of unified. Unified Front wouldn't work as them both landing on a dragon and being right. like, we're cool. Yeah. They, they, they felt like they needed to jump in a boat in a sea full of Eurons in order to make their way slowly. It was almost like in when you're ship. like... In yeah. one ship, by the way. Yeah, in one ship. In one right. ship, it was straight right. up like, you know, hey, Daphne, do you want to do a study group? No one showed up. You know, right? It was like, it felt very much like a structure to get them in that room. But of course. Yeah. If the love boat. No, don't do that. <laughs> All right. So then we get to my favorite scene and yours, Winterfell. Oh, 
Thank you, Jesus. Okay, now. <laughs> I read that saying that this was too much of an about face and that it was an unsatisfying acceleration to this end. I've heard other people say that, that they didn't substantially explain how they came about this decision, but I will tell you this, and I'm speaking because I'm obviously the resident uh, Littlefinger fan here. I love this scene. I thought it was amazing. I've always loved watching him go, but I've always wanted him to get his just desserts, and I was waiting. I was hoping that it was going to be a good one and not like we thought before, you know, yeah. get killed and someone take his skin. Yeah, yeah right. Being, the best thing about this was that he got called out in front of everybody. Yes. And all of, all of his in-the-shadow dealings were gone because he was exposed and in the light. And he had nowhere to go. He had nothing he could do. And he went through a sequence of different options. And they all failed. And then he dropped down to his emotionally overwhelmed sort of, oh, I beg you kind of thing. And I thought that was really interesting yeah. because he was a guy who was very Machiavellian. But he was undermined by his obsession over... Caitlin and Sansa. And his so, confidence and, that he was the smartest man in the room, too. Totally. And the fact that he would throw himself at her that desperately was very in character to me, although some people have felt that that wasn't the case. I thought it was, I mean, the whole bait and switch where they <coughs> brought her in and let's have at it then. And then she calls out the thing and then turns to the side, the mm -hmm. whole room, that all they needed was the record scratch. <laughs> You know, and the and the guys from Friday go, like, you know, like look at him in the corner. His reaction, his reaction was was the new internet meme for white guy blinking. Right? Yes, like he was like, he was doing an amazing job in this. He was just doing that thing where he's like, sorry, no. <laughs> like, it was so good to me. I loved it. Yeah, I, I thought it was fantastic. I think he played his character because remember <clears throat> when the uh, bordello got raided? Yep, and he got kicked out of that, and he had to go flee to the Vale, and he was groveling and yep. uh, doing the whole Grima worm tongue thing to get out of that. Yeah, he was always going to do whatever it took. Yeah. But I yeah. felt like he honestly, was honestly saying, you know, I love you. I've done this for you. I loved your mother. You know, and I've done everything. her. Yeah. Right. Of course. Yes. He's and, and, and okay. Okay. So, all right. So here's the thing. <laughs> we don't know from what we can piece together based on interviews that were made, and I still don't entirely trust those because actors sometimes have an opinion about what's happening that's not necessary. Right. Also know that they make changes in production. So it's kind of like when you see the, ad, the the deleted features on a movie and they completely change the ending and it kind of undermines the the power of the right. choices that were made. You know, they, they're now saying, some people are saying in the cast that there was a scene written but not recorded where Sansa goes to Br to Bran and starts talking to him about the stuff, and he's like, "No, no, no! Here's how it's here's what's happening." And then she's like, "Oh, I'm being played," and that's why they have this confrontation. Okay. And also, which I don't like, which yeah. I don't like. And also, there's a counter argument that they've been playing him all along, which I don't think is borne out by the fact that they had that whole tête-à-tête -tête in a in a room by themselves. There's no reason to do that if they were playing him because no unless one was they know he's listening. But but he well, wasn't. Or maybe it was Arya telling Sansa that, look, I got this. Yeah, but hey, if, if you want me to take care of things, I will bleed him out. I believe, so my interpretation on the scene was that pivotal scene he had before where he talked to her about, he, he kind of reiterated a variation on his, his fatalist sort of see every encounter. play and, and imagine he, the worst. They made that very specific series of, of, of bits of dialogue where he's talking about, like, every time I'm talking to a person... I think about what's the worst reason they could have to ask me that or to say this thing to me and what could they gain from it? Right. And if I can figure out what that is, then I know how to handle it. 
the worst case scenario. Well, I won't be surprised. I won't be surprised. But also, what's the worst case scenario reason for why the negative worst case scenario reason why someone has said something to me? And if I can imagine it, then I then then I can understand them better and be prepared. And I like the idea because she said I'm a slow learner, but I do learn. Right. I like the idea that that was the moment when she realized he's been playing me. And off camera, we've seen her reconcile with Arya before this happened. Maybe. But I, but I also think that um, they were in cahoots long before that, sending Brienne off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, true. But, right? I, but, why, but I don't know about that because why did they to need to do him that? him in a false sense of security. But why would they need to do that? Because they didn't need him to do anything. There was no – they were not waiting for him to do any action before this. They could have left Brienne in place and still confronted him. There was no reason to do that. No, other than but, for but us then, to see – Other than allow him into a false sense of security. Well, what's the reason? If they, if they knew that he was playing – expose himself. But wait a minute. If – if we go back a week and Brienne's still kicking around and they're doing sword fights in the courtyard and all mm-hmm, that other mm-hmm. stuff and Sansa and Arya know that he's a bad dude who's been playing everybody and they have this full background on him that he's in, in, instigated all these things and was responsible for the death of their father and all the other stuff, they, they're not waiting for him to be exposed in any way. She could have called him up into the room at any time. The, what's the best revenge Right. right. Well, sure. So, and, and the emotional, sure, the emotional pain, and thinking that he's going to win, and at that that penultimate moment when he thinks his master plan is going to get executed, yeah. no, they turn the tables and. No, I totally disagree. I, I, I think I enjoyed the scene. I think you're totally. I think wrong. it was for me. I think it was for <laughs> us. As I think it was for us as viewers to be along for that ride and then be like, whoa, because they've even had interviews. Mm-hmm. Benny Up and Weiss have said. They had to do all this maneuvering to engineer a scenario where they would trick us at the last minute into him being exposed. Oh, I think it was so like, it was clearly oh, was a for dramatic tension thing, but I think it worked. Yeah, but, it but, totally worked. But they could have done this at any time. They could have they could have executed him any time. Oh yeah. I, but my I, thought is, what do you think about the fact that Arya was the one who did it? Oh, I loved perfect. it. How great was that? And what With my his favorite knife. and my yes <laughs> yes and my favorite thing was. That he tried to get the Vale soldiers to take him away, and they're like, "Nope, I think not." <laughs> yeah, that was so great. You moondoored our queen. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty amazing. Pretty amazing scene. I really enjoyed it, and so I know. I mean, we've gotten like two Facebook messages, and I've gotten three direct emails from people <laughs> asking me, "Well, what do you say that?" <laughs> I people thought I was going to be crying about this. You're way off, man. I wanted, I just wanted maximum squirm when he was called out. You were out. a total team little and I was, I was, oh, yeah. but I was maximum squirm when he got called out, and we got it. That was absolutely amazing. So, there you go. But, but so, if I may just add yes. some other defense about this, maybe it's just the screenwriters are Sadists, yes, right. The red wedding, yes. Oh, absolutely. Right? They love the, these the moment of happiness. Everything else, they love this conversation. Little finger, his moment of triumph. All right, yeah. but here's um, the thing. I think that they, and they really don't like marriage. Yeah. They really no, don't they like don't. marriage. I think that this was. <laughs> I think that they set up the scene as another callback because the, what they're doing is restructuring oh, yeah, the, the sequence and everything. Little yeah. finger betrayed Ned. Brought him, convinced and him to back to him, throat. took him to the thing, and then put a knife to his throat. They were actually just recreating yeah, that, that yeah. full circle scene. Line. Absolutely. Okay. So, all right. So, and then and I'm just he bled out and went out like a whiny little bitch. Yeah. Yes. That was fantastic. As he should. <laughs> there's, also, there's something poetic about someone who's using their, using their words and being shifty and having their throat cut and watching them try to talk. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was great. He, he, he had his last words stolen from him. Totally. Right. Totally. So, but now is Sansa the new Littlefinger? 
If so, all little things. Oh. <laughs> I know. That. She learned the lessons I've learned. Yes. Right? I'm a slow learner, but I learn. And then using the using the same, his words yeah. in that yeah. room. Like, mm-hmm. is she going to be, I mean, yeah. she going to be a weird Circe Baelish hybrid? I wonder. Yeah, we can't decide. They, they, they put a lot of work into making us think that Sansa was a negative, slipping into a decline as a negative character and then was sort of redeemed in this episode in this sort of stark reformation. So who's to say? Right. Yeah. So then we get one more thing in Winterfell, which was Sam arriving. And then we have this thing that we never knew we needed, which was the Sam and Bran together. Mm-hmm. And that fun little comedy where Sam he's Bran. like, did you have, did you have a vision? And he's like, no. And he holds up the Raven scroll. That was hilarious. That was right. <laughs> Live or memorized. Yeah. And I, and I think, I, I think it's interesting that they, I, I've, I've, I've read references to the fact that they feel, people feel like this was a very George R. R. Martin thing to do, but that they give us the final fan service of John and Daenerys hooking up and then do an overlay oh, of yeah, 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 yeah. them narrating this. Well, just to like ruin it for them. Just right? to see, just to show how twisted it is. So we saw that. Yeah. So okay. So a couple key pieces of information in this exchange, right? So we have that we have a reasonable foil talking to Bran and trying to understand the first person to actually talk to him in any detail about his visions. It's the and first time Bran hasn't just been a I'm the three eyed raven dick to him yeah. too, though. To be fair, I don't know what that means. Right? <laughs> but, uh, it was very interesting. Bran says that he could see the past and the present. And, but he did not say he could see the future. Right. He did, not, he did not. Did not say he could see the future. Though we have seen in the flow of the show, we have seen him see White Walkers on grass. So we've seen have him we? see the future. But but that could have been back with the first man. The way that's back. exactly what I'm getting at. Everyone's yeah. making feel that he is, uh, you know, clairvoyant. He could see the future, and I feel like those scenes were images from their first invasion. I agree. Not- but it was really interesting to see them work together in that whole thing. And what the other thing I liked about it was, and someone wrote this, um, that Bran, because people have been complaining that Bran is like, well, if he if he's the MacGuffin that knows everything about everything, then why is anything happening? Just send some ravens and get this all sorted out. But I like the idea that he is completely oversaturated with data. Mm-hmm. He's lost his humanity. He can't process anything. And also, he can't – it's the thing I mentioned at the beginning about how we rail about – like, why didn't that character do this? But that's about our frame, the framework of the narrative that we're watching. Why would they think to do X or Y? Right, why would they think right. to say this was happening Why so and so? Why does that girl want to get in the shower in the middle of a slasher incident? Classic. No, this is directly related to the, what they reveal in that flashback about Rhaegar and Lyanna Stark. Everyone's been saying since day one, why the fuck didn't they just send some ravens and tell people – we're in love. We're eloping. We're actually getting married. It's cool. Everything's fine. Don't go to war, which is such a re- – it's like people you know, bitching about World War II and saying, well, why didn't they do X and Y? Why would Riger send notes to people about what he was doing? Okay. He was a king. He was – or a prince trying to fulfill a des- – you know, like a, a, a vision destiny about, about having on. three children. Yeah. And he was just off doing what he was doing. Right. Why would he – like he needs to warn anybody. The ramification to stall off the ramifications of what he's doing. He's just doing what he was doing. But, but there is a little. There's another little fanboy uh, theory out there that the reason why Rhaegar became the Mad King is because Bran got in his head too long. It's possible, right? And that's why. But that's drove him Gonzo. But Rhaegar wasn't the Mad King. Rhaegar, Rhaegar was the prince, right? His father was. The yeah, Aegon was the Mad King. Oh, right? Aegon. Yeah, Aegon was the Mad King. Sorry, yeah. But they've been saying that Bran. 
Bran is the Night King. They've been saying my my I had followed that theory that Bran had weakened the wall by yeah, that didn't it. happen. Maybe we don't know. They could have been involved in how a dragon fired it. We don't know. But also <laughs> whether he's is he the Night King? Did he influence Aegon? With I don't I don't know. But what I did like about this was they clarified that he has access to information but doesn't know it's he doesn't know what to look for or that he even has a, a purpose to look for it. Okay. Right. So if I, if I go back and just resort things. So Ned comes to the tower, right, in Dorne. Yes. And he kills Rhaegar, right? No. Or not. The, no. The, there's the two guardians that are there protecting the tower. They were protecting her. Right. And then the, he goes the battle, up and, No, no. Right. Wait, wait. The rebellion was already in play. She had been isolated to the Tower of Joy. Hey, while she was pregnant and giving birth, he ran to the Tower of Joy. When she died, and that's when they had that found scene, right? her, and then she said, "Hey, you know, you're my brother. You must protect him. You protect him. Keep him hide, hiding. And his name is Aegon. Right. So, okay. Because he's the prince who was promised. Right. So, what? So what? What I liked was that Bran is the internet, and that Tharly <laughs> is the search engine. Right. You have to do a question in order to get the answer. And when he asked, when he made the thing about the annulment, people have made a big deal about, people have made in like two or three days, there's a whole shit storm on the internet about people saying that he took credit for Gilly's work and all this other stuff. It's great <laughs> meaning. But let's, something that didn't even occur to me the last in the last episode, she was reading his transcribed, he'd already transcribed yeah, that. Right, yeah, that was something he read, he just didn't have any context for. It's just he didn't have context and he was frustrated. He had been writing without thinking about what it meant, and he was so exhausted by all the other stuff that he wasn't taking it seriously. But why can't Bran? Why didn't Bran see that? Why did it take uh, Tarly to come up and or, or Sam to come and, and tell? Him? Well, the idea that it would be sort of throwing rocks at a lake that he would see these various things versus mm -hmm. other things that were based directly on his own experience, right? Here's I, the think, thing that, I think he needs a connection through yeah. family, possibly. Yeah, possibly so, yes. Because Something the only direct, parts he saw of that was – there was a Stark present during it. Right. And I feel like uh, what was the Stark presence on the wall the first times he started going – venturing with the Ravens over, too? What do you mean? So John was gone. Benjen was out in the north somewhere. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if there's a connection. There is one screen cap that's been going around that shows the army of the dead rallying to get through the wall, and it, Look forms, like a wolf. it forms the Stark symbol, and I'm like, I no, saw that, that, yeah. I don't think so. But, hey, uh, man, you, if you got a theory, you, you, you run with it. Right? Yeah. If, you, if you're a climate change denier, but, you see the data that backs that up. But, but okay, so <laughs> going back to the whole thing about why do people, why do people say or not say things um, when you're watching it as a flow of story points – that in, but in context, why would they? I'm not sure I understand why Bran was like, "Hey, we got to go tell John. He's the heir to the Iron Throne." Why did? Why would he be saying we have to tell him? Why do they have to tell him right now? When the, everything is about because everything is a porno film over here on USS Love Boat. No, no, everything is about the 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 Night King. So who gives a shit about whether John is, is supposed to be on an Iron Throne or not? No, because when. No, no. When if he's Bran knows, promise, but Bran knows that the but the Westerosi throne is meaningless. Right, but the, it's because of the prophecy that he is the prince who was promised, and he is going to be the only one that can take down the Night King. That's what the prophecy. But that has nothing to do with being. That has nothing to do with being the heir to the Iron Throne. No, it's because there's he is no the prince reason. Who was promised. 
if he were to be saying we need to tell John that he's the key to like some sort yeah. of like bullshit like he's the key to everything John's the only one who can be, can defeat the night night king ps I want already to do it uh, you know if that's if that's his whole angle fine the whole thing like John needs to know that he's the heir to the iron no 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 he's no. a stark and targaryen was entirely set up to make us go Ick I, th- I think about he, I, the pairing I think you need to go back and watch the flow of the scene because I think he says, I won't. he says the, the, the heir of the Iron Throne before he says we have to tell John. But I'm saying what's the, the only reason for any of that was to overlay over them hooking up and say, oh, that's too bad. No, uh, to me, it, it, well, unless there's some little muty freak that comes out of it uh, or their offspring is the prince. That was promised. rude. That was rude. <laughs> you know how many possible children of incest listen to this podcast? That was very rude. We, we have a really – we have a heavy Morlock listening base, you know. <laughs> So I think I think it's because he needs to know that he's the prince who was promised. That's what I'm going to go. All right. So we have a sweet hookup. Let's just get to it. We have a sweet hookup, <laughs> which was 98% Jon Snow thigh. Yes. And some tush. Jon Snow has a surprisingly round butt. Yes. And um, I've seen a fair amount of that actress, and I was surprised by the choices they made. But I guess they know where their bread is buttered. Well, she actually, among the the actress, Emily Clark actually, Emily Clark yeah. said that she didn't, wasn't going to do any more nudes. Well, they didn't do anything that didn't stop up with Cersei. I mean, I, I expect. I, I, I think that was actually misattributed to her. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, even, she said she oh. didn't want to do any more gratuitous stuff, but, um, I mean, she did that whole thing at the, the Kalazar thing where she walked out naked as well. But she said, I think that all that was attributed to her after that, yeah. right, where they said yeah. she felt exposed. And, well, who knows? Even so. I feel like they just know where their bread is buttered. I don't think that the <laughs> majority of the Game of Thrones shipping fan base is obsessed with a naked uh, no. Daenerys running around. It's shipping John with her and a bunch of other people. Yeah, right. It's all about John Snow. Yeah. Right. But also, but to me, the best part, well, the most compelling part of that is Tyrion's reaction. To it. Yes, and we we talked about this briefly when you wandered off, uh, which is. There are many ways of interpreting the mystery of of what his reaction was, and you can't trust what the actors are saying about their motivations because they don't even know right. what what Benioff is he actually says, playing and why. Yeah. yeah, he said he is implied. Even at the beginning of the season, he was giving interviews implying that his character was smitten by Daenerys, which is very feasible. He was a romancing. He was a Lothario before which season three. And all of a sudden, he's like walking around like nothing matters. But you know, but just because of shot, Jorah has the same thing. Uh, but that's Tyrion what I'm saying. I mean, and, and we talked about this briefly last time. I think that that he was directly responsible for getting all of her boyfriends booted, right? Right. He who stated that uh, that that what's his name should stay behind in Marine and set up a dem- you don't even get to sit on the throne, just set up a democracy and shut up. Yeah. And then he's true. going off, you know. But but all the same. He's and he's made a lot of com- complaints about her putting herself in harm's way. I've interpreted that as being a good hand, you know. Right. Don't put yourself at risk. But what, now, in that scene, one interpretation is he's like, "Ah, oh, crap," because he's in love with her. Another interpretation is that he has betrayed them already as a deal with Cersei, which I think is more likely, or betrayed Jon Snow in particular. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Third, I feel like there's a good amount of it is. He's set himself up. He's repeatedly says that he he follows Daenerys because she listens to him. His she's right. taking him seriously, 
I'm very frustrated with the writing on this show over the last season that they've set him up to have all these cool plans that get circumvented <laughs> by plot elements that fr frustrate me because I actually really have enjoyed the, him coming into his own as a, as a as, as as a tactician. And even if you were to say maybe he's better as a negotiator or a or an advisor than he is a tactician, I still would like to see him win a few. The irritates constantly being under undermined, but. I don't know. So there's a whole well, thing. But, but the, he, he won the Battle of King's Landing. I mean, he was a critical element in them winning it. In the sense that he fell on his ass, fell asleep. When he woke up, it was over. But the dragon part. <laughs> he has to bring that up a couple of times. I got this scar. Well, yeah. okay, so here's the thing. In the books, which I have not read, in the manuscript for the books, apparently. That you have right, read? That I have not read also. I read parts of it. There are a lot of things that Martin had described as his plan for the series that didn't even happen in the books, let alone in the show, right. including Don and Arya having an obsession and a love affair, oh. and then and her being younger, right? Really? And then Tyrion well, getting both roped. Of them being younger, but yeah. And then Tyrion being roped into this, but being unrequited, and then having a really dark period after this, and then ending up being in opposition to them and being an, an antagonist. Mm -hmm. And I'm really hoping they don't go that route, because I don't need Tyrion to be a tragic figure Right. I need to be a successful figure. If you think about the power of, of the fact that they took this guy, this actor and this character, Martin's Martin's work originally even, before even we get to, to, oh, yeah. to, to him, and made him a successful Lothario and, and all this stuff, was very powerful in media, right? It was very yeah. cool that he was not being undermined as being a non-sexual person, that he was, he was very uh, sexually oh. active... And one of the very dynamic for, for his acting on it, right? That's I mean, right. Peter yeah. Dinklage, from you know the relative obscurity in a Jerry Seinfeld thing, and, and a couple of Elf. Elf, 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 of course. Uh, and that one with uh, Carly Gugino that I liked, the, the show about the aliens, and they were communicating through like this weird phase. Uh, <laughs> what was that? I'm going to look that up. I'm going to not look that up on the internet, guys, right now. But, I don't know uh, what you're talking about, but you said Gugino, so I'm in. Yeah, baby. But uh, so I think, out of the possible plot motivations for it, I think Tyrion feels threatened by John. Yes. Because when Daenerys started listening to John, yep, suddenly things started going her way a little bit more. Which is true. Well, he's the hero that shows up and takes everything. But 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 I think more importantly is that mental betrayal that he's the hand because he's already been betrayed once with that role. It's right. By his own right. Right and thrown to the side, and now he may feel threatened as being thrown to the side again, and that coupled with jealousy because he's got uh, some feelings sure, for Daenerys. Sure. Absolutely, and so he's on the wrong side of the cabin door. Yeah, he's on the side with all the puke and everything else that's out there. I want to. <laughs> I want you to to cast your mind back to the halcyon days of September two thousand five, <laughs> when we were all babes in the woods and had the opportunity to watch Threshold on CBS. Oh my God, Carla Gugino. Peter Dinklage, Brian Van Holt, and Brent Spiner. Do you oh, remember this one? I don't think and I ever saw that. The in the pilot, it was actually really cool. It was playing up. It was on the. It was another one of these shows that came out of the X Files ish world. Yeah, but didn't, I remember but didn't, this. It didn't stick. But in the pilot, they showed like these fishermen out in the sea, and there was this deal where all the fish were were following a pattern that they were shining their lights in the in the sea, and then and all the fish were patterning in a weird way, and then they bring this expert in this FBI expert on 
crazy pattern recognition yeah, and pattern yeah. recognition and whatever. And then she comes to the conclusion that it's a dimension. There's a dimensional breach that's happening and their aliens oh, are getting involved. Yeah. And that was the first time I remember Dinklage playing against type in the sense that it was not about his stature and it was about he was a scientist that was brought in or whatever the hell. In a very crude yeah. uh, sort. Yeah, it was really – I mean I was really down for that and also Carla Gugino, right? Yeah. But anyway, OK. So that's a thing that happened in 2005 back when we were babes. <laughs> so now we've got to get to the wall. The wall. OK. So the fourth ending of the season is <laughs> the wall. <laughs> and we see the – the final action that we were expecting, which is Viserion, has been animated in an undefined way. I wasn't expecting what they did. <laughs> well, okay, so there are some issues here, and I think it's about – I think that they're accidents of production. But again, I feel like a lot of these could be corrected with some thoughtfulness, and they just didn't get to it because they were burning. I, I, the more you talk, The more you talk to uh, – the more you talk to writers and producers on the show, not Benioff and Weiss, but the, the rest of them, mm -hmm. the more you see that they were really like scrambling on how much they had to do in a short period of time. Right. But they haven't explained whether what Viserion is because we've we've seen the well, Night he's King. He's a dragon. Touch, well, it was. <laughs> but we've seen the Night King touch living creatures and turn them into White Walkers. And we've seen the Night King turn and his walkers turn people who are dead and turn them into whites. The I think way, that's so his we're limitation. not sure whether, huh? I think that's his limitation. I don't think he can turn white walkers from dead things. Correct. So what is Viserion? I is Viserion assume it's a white? white then, yeah. So that's interesting because what we've seen of whites are that they can be, they can be injured by fire. If, if Viserion is a white and not a, a walker creature, they can be injured by fire, but they are not killed by fire because we've seen we've seen humanoid whites get taken out by fire, but we've seen a bear white not be not be killed by the fire. Well, not right. killed immediately. Just, yeah. Here's a okay. Wreck. So times one thousand or ten thousand, and now you have Viserion. So if Viserion is a, I think that's an important component when they deal with it later. If yeah. Viserion is a white and not a Walker hybrid of some kind or whatever mm -hmm. then it's affect their ability to kill it and how they do it well i would say that and it's independence yes but i also think that's where coming up with creative ways to use dragon glass and a variety of different weapons is going to be very very important burmese man traps dragon size no this, well i mean the the spear chucker jones like yeah. they, <laughs> that was rude another rude one that um <laughs> you know the night king can just Go javelin tossing and throw it up and and knock Viserion down and that's that's it. That's so why not get a dragon glass spear and return the favor? Well, so they've they've answered our question about what it was going to breathe. Although we don't know whether that's yeah, that force power, ice? blue fire, who knows what. But what was neat was they implied that the dragon power and or other weaknesses in the wall allowed it to break the spell that's holding the ice wall together in, in quite demonstrable fashion. In demonstrable fashion, it was really neat. I don't believe about, for a about minute less than, about less than two minutes. I don't believe a minute that <laughs> that Johnny Best Western is dead. No way. Uh, I oh, think no, they, that, were, they were running. Yeah, they were running uh, laterally on the part that didn't collapse. Yeah. We needed what we were missing was one of those scenes where they're running on the rope bridge that's falling apart. So, <laughs> they're running on the the last piece every single time. Every step is the plank that's not falling. And they yet. grab the rope, <laughs> and it swings down, and yeah. then they climb up. I was yeah. I was pantomiming that right now. You were. It was very good. Um, but was a, it was very dramatic, and it was a little bit sobering to see them cross over. I still feel like 
<laughs> the snow in King's Landing was more powerful as a symbol of what's to come. Yeah, yeah I agree. But I didn't. I couldn't imagine them keeping the breach of the wall until season eight. I oh, felt like they. Had I to feel like that. they could have cut the two together, though. Yeah, that's true. They, right, they could have done one of those things where they composite the two together and throw someone singing a weird, like sort of half Gaelish. Gaelic kind of tune, and 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 you see all that interwoven. That would have been great. Well, I, I think they're just <laughs> maybe Carla Gugino involved. Yeah, I, I think they're just tired of you know really boring siege battles. Yeah, and uh, Smash Mouth was yeah, needed, so, and Smash yeah, Mouth we got. You know, this, okay, let's just let's the uh, let's just eliminate all. All right. So doubt about whether they're going to get past the wall. Season eight. <laughs> well, and I think too the simple fact is is regardless of what that dragon is now. It served its purpose. It got them past the wall, too. So even if it does go out like a chump in one of the later episodes, it's done what it needed to do. I still like I still like the idea that whether... I don't believe that the Night King has future sight, future sight but I like that... I well, like the idea can. that he knew that they had dragons and he was waiting for... A, that, that, that there was a trap in the previous episode. That's why they were waiting. And they waited until the dragons to appear so that he could take one down. I feel like they knew that that was their way through the and wall. Those chains and are really heavy, and they didn't, they really slowed them down. There was a ferry in the background, dude. <laughs> there's also like a there's also like a Land Cruiser, but that's in the behind. Well, yeah. and I do think that um, one thing that nobody that we didn't mention when we were talking about it the last time is that they were kind of all walking off when Jon Snow came out. So I'm assuming yeah. they were going off to to pick up the you know the the giants and the chains and everything. It totally read to me that they were intending to snare a dragon, and they got one. Yes, absolutely. I agree yeah, with that. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so... Hold, can, okay, I, can I bring yeah. up a, a physics and biology question here? Okay, sure. Right? So when the Night King throws the, the spear at Viserion and hits him in the throat, and all his uh, fire juice comes spewing out... Yes. Right? If, he was, if you go by the rude uh, biology of the entire system, that means his gland had to get pierced. Right. That... Is responsible for producing the propellant and accelerant that right. generates his right. fire, whatever. Which is how he could be injured by his own fire. Right. Because he just kind of, right. the, the entire like right a, side or left side of his body just kind of wasn't it less, Wasn't you less than it was talking about the flamethrower that malfunctions? Right. right. Yeah. yeah. And so yeah. how, when he gets turned, how does he heal that? He doesn't. Well, he does. You're right. They've reformed a lot of his body, although I will say... See, now you're getting into zombie biology, which is always a bad path to go down. We want realism in our zombies. Realism. But my question is, if if he goes over time, he's going to lose that ability. Yeah, you're saying why is he? Because he's going to start rotting even more, right? As you see in the... the Do they continue rotting or do they stay at the level they are when they die? I don't think they continue rotting. And also, I don't think... I think we've speculated that they burst a fire gland and all that other business. And I really think what they were showing us was... Night King ice weapons are super wicked against the opposing kinds of magic in that world. That that weapon thrown at someone's horse wouldn't have blown it into bits. It was that weapon hitting an enchanted creature. The dragons are in, you know, in essence, a magical thing. And it was it had that direct opposing fire ice. Yeah, yeah. Broke it down on a biological uh, perspective almost. Because actually when I saw it, all I was focusing on wasn't so much that – I mean we saw the fiery burning of its ribcage and all that. But to me that was that the, I, the, the spear had gouged – I feel bad about 
people overhearing this, but uh, I was afraid that I thought that the spear was gouging it and it dumped like it got eviscerated because it had an immense amount of blood that came out. Yeah. And I thought that it got eviscerated and disemboweled and all that stuff came out and then it fell down and crashed at which point. And I felt like the flame that we saw was seen inside the dragon because it, right. the, the, the spear touched it and it immediately went. Well, right? but, but there, there was fire and then an explosion. I agree. I agree. But again, it's fantasy and they just want an ice, an icy dragon or whatever, which is not the same as an ice dragon. I get it. I get it. Book readers. I don't want to hear I don't want to hear non tweets <laughs> about it. But, but all the same, I want to say that I thought it was really nice detail that they showed a bunch of rips in the wing. Yes. The yeah, wings were all and holy and stuff. That was awesome. Right. Detail. But he was. He, but I will just go back that he's able to. He shouldn't be able to breathe fire. Yeah. He's breathing zombie fire, so maybe it's not generated by a crazy fire gland. Well, what kind of fire is that exactly? Yeah, it just doesn't make any sense. Maybe he's been licking uh, volcanoes. Yeah. Dentine wow. ice. Yes. <laughs> all right. So I guess that was that was the episode. So what do uh, so what do you? Does anybody want to make any speculation about how this is going to go? Everybody dies. Yeah. I have a feeling that's going to go that way. I, I have a feeling it's going to go um, uh, Baby Targaryen and Seven Dads or something like that. I think it's going to be uh, John and Three Daenerys both tragically dying <laughs> and their offspring being the one to unite the kingdoms. Maybe. I, I'm kind of going for the Dark Horse. I'm saying uh, Sansa may be the last one standing. Mm. Very possible. Very possible. I don't buy it. <laughs> well, we can. We, I'm sure Vegas is taking bets on this. So, oh, if I had, if I had a bet, I think Sansa would be the one I would put hundred bucks on. Uh, well, you know, frankly, one thing we can say is it's not Rickon. Although to some degree it would have been interesting if we had a zombie Rickon right now because they would have, yeah, would have been kicked. They by. would have dispatched zombie Rickon and still not talked about him. Yeah. <laughs> I was curious where where oh, Mister where uh, Gendry was this entire episode. He's been drinking, drinking with Ron. Oh yeah, he was there, wasn't he? The yeah. whole time. Yeah. I thought that was but, uh, odd. Oh, you're right. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Again, we, Sorry. Uh, we don't have an answer. Again. Where is he? The uh, the other thing I really like, well, he he came uh, back. Yeah. Well, because he was defeated, he, he, he basically busted his ass coming back to get them word to go get the hyperspeed dragon to so he's go. Probably, he's probably at... Um, so he's recuperating under all that ice right now that just fell. Which are the Dark Watch, right? Yeah. And, yeah. Or East Watch. East, no, East Watch fell. Yeah, so what's but the, wasn't that where he... Wasn't that where they... They departed from? So maybe he went back over... Well, but they went and got that whole army and walked over there, so he may just be at Dragonstone making Valerian steel or something. Ah, yes. Yeah. But it is interesting that they said the entire revolt against the Targaryens was false. The right. whole motive. Right. right. That was a very interesting twist. It was, it was very uh, well, illegitimate. They, they've said now two or three times in one episode, characters are realizing that all the fun of the, the, all the building blocks to the wars – were predicated on falsehoods and it means it doesn't matter right because we're still going which is exactly like the way think about world war one it was very obvious that none of that needed to happen even at the time but they were everyone was obligated to respond based on their allegiances and say boom you have bismarcking alliances here we yep. go and they all knew that they were fucked well and wmd in iraq that's right that's right okay. well all a lie yeah fuck he does yep. all right so 
But I, I picked I pick the winner. You yes. two have to pick a winner. Uh, I think it's going to be Baby Targaryen. You think it's my winner? Yeah? Yeah. Okay. What about you, Chris? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, so, yo, who, what is what is winner? What is what's the definition here? Who I mean, assumes the reins of uh, Westeros after? Like who breaks? The, who's going to be the king or the wheel? Yeah, who, who who breaks the wheel and introduces peace and democracy in Westeros? I and that's what I vote for. Is I vote for democracy. Right. And so I'm going to say Tyrion. Yeah. Oh, intro- ooh. Oh snap! I'm jumping ship to your your world. I like that a lot. Tyrion's not going to make it, my friends. You. I would love. Shut Do you your know? Poor mouth. No, no, Chris. <laughs> I am 100% Team Tyrion now. I love the idea that after all of this, he steps up and somehow was able to build a, dem- a democratic. So what Tyrion marry Sansa and they reunite and they actually make it happen? Yeah. yeah. I, yeah, like I, Sansa. Like Sansa. I like Sansa just fine in other ways, but not in that You're way. You're just still butt sore that Littlefinger ended. L- Littlefinger went out the way he needed to go out. Yep, whiny little. Whiny. <laughs> I No, it all goes back to that one moment. Uh, what? Squeeze me? Like, absolutely amazing. I could just watch that over and over. Huh? I'm sorry. What's happening? That's <laughs> absolutely Squeeze amazing. Because he was even in the corner doing his little twitchy little <laughs> yeah. side, like thinking he's got things under control. He's all he but rubbing like, his hands together and cackling. Remember, you know how the thing in school where you're like you're you're doodling or you're fan, you're daydreaming, and then the teacher calls on you, and you're like, eh? uh, yeah. I've had the, I've had the the real world bigger picture version of that. I've been in a meeting of 120, 110 or 120 people in a mega meeting, and I've had them refer to my scope and start talking to me, and I was in the middle of thinking about some, you know, some nerd thing, and been like, blink, blink. <laughs> what was the middle one? Agree. <laughs> so yeah, and then anyway. and then the faceless men slit your throat. Uh, well, didn't happen quite that way. <laughs> Could have been maybe metaphorically they did. That's going to be keep me up tonight thinking about that. Anyway, so that was our Game of Thrones season oh. seven, episode seven recap, and now radio silence for eighteen months. No, no. So we don't know when the new season is going to come out. No, we do at not. Least, at least 18 months, right? Because they're filming now. In two weeks, they start filming. Scripts are done. And then they Correct. said they're going to be Correct. done filming in spring. And then they have their longest post-production schedule ever because they have a number of feature film length episodes in yes. the final season. Yeah. Which I'm okay so, with. Yeah. I'm okay with that. <laughs> yeah. The battle scenes are just going to be unreal. Yeah. Well, the challenge for them is going to be how to make this interesting in a way that, you know, people like me that fell off of Lord of the Rings and stuff, you know, big battle scenes don't impress you anymore, right? You get desensitized to it. So right. It's focused on guerrilla guerrilla maneuvering and the events of these individual characters and what they're doing. That's what's going to make it interesting. So the way that they film Battle of the Bastards, if they do that, they just hold true to that and yeah. just the visceral, yeah. the visceral nature of it. Yeah, yeah. They'll be fine. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And remember, uh, remember in the Battle of the Rose Rose Road when they tried to use all of their their uh, Middle Ages medieval tactics, where they put all the armor, they put all the shields down, and then they put the spears between the, the heads of the shield bearers and all that stuff. I love it. And then there's a dragon, and they all. <laughs> I don't think uh, keeping the audience excited is going to be their problem. No, no. I, I think you're right. I think you're right. 
All right. So, all right. So I think when we next talk, we're probably going to get back to our normal routine of talking about various and sundry geeky comic, geeky items and con reports and movie reviews. But I think it's been pretty fun and challenging to try to do <laughs> a weekly or near weekly roundup on Game of Thrones because uh, it's like one show that you just really can't wait to talk about. Yeah. Yes. Right? Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. It's absolutely. It is. It's oh. it's how I felt about Lost back in the day before it that went shit. off the rails. Yeah. There was a great uh, little cynical meme about it that, oh, we're just going to slowly disenfranchise the audience and do a slow decline in the show, just like Lost. Yeah, no. <laughs> I mean, the fact that they have this like, forced ending and they're going to compress five seasons into micro-seasons means we're not going to get that. Well, at least you don't have to worry about what happened to the uh, smoke. Oh, the, the black smoke? The black smoke piece, Hi. yes. Yeah. Well, we already got the polar bear. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, and in fact, in, in us talking about Game of Thrones, in a way, we've brought the, the, the smoke monster back into our modern life because of our famous intro. That's true. Remember? Yes. It had that crazy chain sound when it would like roll through the forest. What's up, fuck? No, no. And there we go. All right. Okay, guys. Well, that was pretty fun. Yeah. So next time we'll talk about other nerd stuff. Yes. We got to get back to pants. Oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. Yeah, I'm so behind on that now. It's ridiculous. I'm like almost embarrassed how behind I am on it. Our list of movies to talk about oh looks gosh. like a list of just movies that were out in 2017. Yeah, yeah. really. Yeah, how- I, I I just got my movie pass pass in the mail here, yeah. so we're gonna try that out maybe tomorrow. I got, I just got that as well. Can't wait. Nice, yeah. excellent. So we'll um, we'll discuss our experience movie I just passing. Spider Man. <laughs> That's. Lindsay well, hasn't seen it either, but I I love it. I feel like that's going to be on video very soon. I yeah. feel like you're going to see yeah, it. Yeah, I really do too. It's and actually still in the first run theater here. Did we, did we talk Wonder and Guardians too? No, we no. haven't done that yet. Wow. We haven't talked about either, right, Chris? No, no, neither. It was Expanse and Ghost in the Toll. Yeah. Right. Um, but what a overall, what a horrible movie summer. Oh? Yeah, the lowest box office in 25 years. No kidding. They had some colossal flame out. Yeah. Big budget yeah. jerk offs. Um, but the movies I saw, I liked. I was going to say, on the other hand, we've had an embarrassment of riches in, in cool movies to watch. Yeah. I don't know. Dunkirk. I, I think. Seen that. Yeah, I think that there. I think it's conflicting data sets. I think that they're having low box office turnout, particularly at end of summer, when you look at globally what's been done, mm-hmm. the international sales. We're at a time of great strife and conflict globally. Right. People are very stressed out. But just the domestic box office, like domestic the, box office is down. That's true. I mean, However, we had, but we uh, have also the films that did bad did really badly, and then the King films Arthur. that were good did really well. Yeah, you're right. King Arthur and Valerian are two really big budget bombs. Yeah, yeah. I'll see them on the way to Jakarta. Yeah, actually, I enjoyed Valerian. Actually, what's that? I enjoyed Valerian. I want to see it on the. Actually, I want to see it on my big on my TV. But yeah, I, five people that I, I trust very well all said it was basically a big um, Luke Besson mental masturbation show. Well, sure, but that, we knew that. <laughs> oh yeah, that's totally accurate. <laughs> he's, been, he's been doing that since he's been making films. Oh uh, come on, Fifth Element was I, that, that was Element, a great movie. Fifth Element, dear listeners, is a garbage fire thrown out oh, a window. Oh my god. I enjoyed it. Shut your mouth. Parts of it. Shut your mouth. Parts of it. Blasphemer. Even at the time, Shut your mouth. you could tell that if he had an editor Shut your mouth. and a producer Shut your mouth. 
they could have made an interesting movie out of that hot pile of garbage. Bah. It was a series of cool scenes that were interwoven in a bunch of hot mess that bah. sullied sullied the names <laughs> and Tricky bah. and Gary Oldman. Inconsequential, irrelevant, and immaterial. They were all- <laughs> How do you feel about this? Hashtag bah. sad. Hashtag sad. <laughs> Fifth Element, Fifth Element is an incredibly flawed film that has a that has a cult cachet yeah. because of certain no. choices that were made, but it's garbage. I and loved I it. I loved it when I first saw it. I love it today. I will defend that movie to my dying. You're breath. not going to tell me that Sid Mead, when he was like crestfallen that they couldn't budget his vision in Blade Runner, that he was going to say, "Sure, after my death, what I'd love for you to do is take my <laughs> vertical, take my vertical detritus landscapes and my aerial." traffic management and put it in broad daylight new york with funk music in the background that'll work and bruce willis hamming it up sorry man that's exactly what i want well there you go we're gonna we're gonna have a genuine disagreement of opinion on that i think we'd have to watch it again and maybe we have to watch it together i would i I can turn on a slow swivel and look at you when all that bar 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 and she's like multi-pass and you can say oh i love multi-pass i know i love multi-pass that when luke Besson films (laughs) his future uh, Big bada boom. Uh, Big bada boom. He films her writhing around for like 17 minutes in in white straps in his in that little case before she breaks it. Are you but saying that that's a bad thing? I'm not saying it's good filmmaking, is what I'm saying. I, I thought it was outstanding. Filmmaking. I've watched that particular scene over and over again. <laughs> you guys in your multi passes, man. Multi pass. I love the multi pass. <laughs> I did, and I love the Mobius stuff. I did not like the Gautier stuff. I love the Mobius. Oh, stuff. I love Gautier. The costume design was a perfect. I no, it was it. good. But the Mobius it. costume design was the good. only. The only thing I didn't like about the movie was the rock opera singing battle choreography. Yeah, yeah. That, was awful. that it was. was awful. It, it was ridiculous. But everything else, Ruby uh, Ruby Rod was the best version ah! of that character that it could have been. Yes. When it was originally envisioned for Prince, it would have been garbage. Yeah. With Are him, it was amazing. Are we green? Oh, it's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> No, like he was just hilarious. <laughs> hilarious. I love he's in the cruise ship and like on the table, like da 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 da, that is that is that is yeah, it's amazing, absolutely amazing. And on that note, Game of Thrones. So, <laughs> all right, guys, I'm Audi Five Thousand. Okay, have a good night. Good night, everyone. Thanks for listening. Winter is coming, or whatever. <laughs> well, what is it now? Is winter is here? Is yeah. that the new thing? Winter, yeah. winter is coming winter. right up your butthole. Winter is a thing that is happening. Forgive me, it's been a rough morning.